Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast Radio Show. Coming to you on this Sunday, December 4th, 2022. Hopefully it finds you staying safe and staying sweaty all at the same time. On today's episode, we are talking about your money and how to save it, spend it, invest it, taxes, financial planning, all of the things that revolve around the money that you have or don't have or want or have spent and everything in that arena with my man, Pat Darby. But before I jump into that, real quick, some housekeeping things. One, if you guys want to get with us before the end of the year, the Jeremy Scott Fitness app is live and rolling. We're offering you a free seven-week trial to do everything. All my personal weekly workouts, all of our programs are in there. All the transformation stuff has been in there. We are doing our 47-day transformation in early January for you guys as a premium option. That thing is... I think we refilmed 99% of the program, so it is going to rip your face off, but in like the safest, healthiest way possible. But until then, I wouldn't wait until January. We have that thing loaded. There's already like, I think a thousand workouts total, plus a lot of our nutrition stuff. There's a whole section in there, all of our macro guides, protein guides, smoothie guides, and all those things. And literally, if you guys want to see something, just ask. And if it's reasonable, we will film it. And basically, the app becomes your own. So intermediate, beginner, advanced, all the levels are in there. Jeremy'sGotFitness.app. The link is in the show notes. You can try a week for free if you like it. If you think it sucks, I'm happy to suggest you to go somewhere else. But if you like it, you can stay for probably like 23, 4, 5, 6, 7 cents a day. So not a huge investment, but I've poured everything into it to make you guys as healthy as possible. And you already know this episode is brought to you by my homies at Athletic Greens, the one thing I take every single day and I never miss. If you guys struggle to eat enough fruits and vegetables, and let's be real, all of us do, this would be the one thing I would take and throw into my life. Just grab a pack, rip it, throw in some water, slam it, and you're good to go. Athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott will give you guys a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first order. If you've never tried it and you're curious to see if you like it before you buy it, message us. I don't care if it's on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, email, whatever. We will mail you a free sample pack, 100% free to try on me. If you like it, we can hook you up with all the free stuff from there. If you don't like it, no harm, no foul. Is anybody else doing that? No, but we're crazy here. We want to get you guys a free sample to try to see if it's your thing. In my opinion, it's the best tasting greens on the planet. There's probiotics in there, digestive enzymes as well. Instead of taking 14 different pills, this is just an easier solution, and it travels with me everywhere I go. Heather's actually on a a fun trip this weekend. She took a bunch of packs with her, and that's how she gets her micronutrients in when she's on the road because it is tough to always get fresh fruits and veggies when you are hustling. So hit me up if you guys want a free sample. I'm happy to send it. Don't feel weird. Otherwise, check out the link in the show notes, athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott for all the free stuff today. And all of our other sponsors are in the show notes, Dry Farm Wines, Beam TLC, uh, Kettle and Fire Bone Broth, Sleep Sold Separately, and my friends at JLab Pro. We have discounts and all that stuff. If you guys scroll down, you'll see it. And then I think we have one more promo coming from Jay this week via email. So if you guys are in the newsletter, check it out. It'll be popping out tomorrow morning sometime. And there's that. So, my man, Pat Darby, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's yeah. awesome here. So, uh, yeah, except it's raining. This is bullshit. <laughs> it never rains here. Two days in a row. Yeah, I've been here since Thursday. It's, uh, Thir- it's was Thursday nice? Yeah, it was. Well, I got here close to midnight, so but it was warm. Thursday was nice. Friday was nice because I had a wedding. Friday it was nice, and then sucked yesterday. Sucks today. It's freezing yesterday. Yeah, not uh, not fun. But you're here. So uh, for everybody who doesn't know, who are you? What do you do? And uh, 
go as far back as you want. Sure. So Pat Darby, I'm a certified financial planner. I'm an enrolled agent, which is a tax advisor. So basically we do financial planning, tax advising, and fractional CFO work for the online fitness community. And uh, <laughs> being here in Vegas, or I'm just living in Vegas, uh, we do with other online entrepreneurs as well. But how I got started, my degree is in biochemistry, so this was not my plan originally in college. I was pre-med. I wasn't planning to go to into finance or tax. But while I was working in uh, basically nine to five, it was in medical sales. I started a side business, kind of a I don't know, funny or stupid at the time. But I was doing like uh, a national beer pong tournament was my goal. So a national beer pong tournament. That's what I was. That's the name of the company was. Uh, the LLC name. So I was aiming to do like beer. Sounds very professional. Yeah. This yeah. was my, this is my, uh, side hustle. But while I was making a ton of mistakes, I was just reading all the business books, like all the rich dad, poor dad, and just trying to figure out what I was doing wrong. And that actually became my obsession. So I was reading his books, trying to understand like actual business and finance. So this was like 2009 or so when I the business wasn't doing well, but I was learning a ton. I shut the business down and then went into finance full-time. This was 2010 at that point. So you're doing medical device for like Stryker or somebody, like one of the big dudes? Yeah. Well, what was it? Uh, Teleflex and, what and you, Arrow. What, what uh, body part? It was the dialysis catheters. That, so they go in the neck. And I was the dialysis special, or what was the title? I think dialysis specialist, something like that. Um so it was like declot devices, dialysis catheters. So it was actually pretty cool because we were inside of the operating room. I got a buddies who do that. Yeah. It's, different uh, like C-spine, uh, OBGYNs, a bunch of different things. It's a, it's a cool gig. Um, it's weird for sure. It's, it's weird in that you have these sales reps telling doctors and nurses what to do during like a live procedure and yeah. you're like what's up with that it's a, well in how just i don't know if a normal person understands like a buddy of ours like he does it i think he does they do discs i think for the spine where they do the surgeries obviously through the front those discs are in the trunk of his car yeah like if he pulls up here today mm -hmm. his trunk is full of like i don't know 50 grand maybe yeah. more worth of discs and shit Maybe he loses them. Maybe not. They go to a hospital. Yeah. Maybe they wash them. Maybe they don't. Like, I'm not saying that like to freak people out, but like, when you really understand the supply chain, I guess of that, it's really kind of trippy. I'm like, and then this surgeon's gonna ask <clears throat> my friend what he thinks they should do. Yep. Like, I start to lose faith in the system like real quick. Now, obviously, you guys are trained and it's your job, and but yeah, it's kind of gnarly. But you're right. At the end of the day, you're going to sales training and. Also, they're teaching you the product expertise, but it is very interesting how that's like the part of the business model of healthcare. Yeah, there's and some issues. Yeah, I. But that's actually what transitioned me out of it. I had, um, I had. It was this was during the recession, so I don't know how old your listening audience is, but this is 08 or 09 when so it was tough to make sales. My territory was New York City, Manhattan. The world's eating major shit. Yeah, it was it was tough. So. The company I worked for, we were not the lowest cost. And at that time, people remember, budgets were really important. Yeah. And so I had a doctor get recruited from Miami to my hospital in New York City. And he had gone through all his training, always used my product, used it in Miami. So I was like, this is going to be the easiest sale of my life. Like, Because he called me. He was like, I want your product. Perfect. 
So we go through all the process. He he does what he needs to do. He gives it his, his blessing. We go to purchasing. Some guy with an MBA in a suit, no medical, kills the whole deal. He's like, sorry, your price is too high. And I'm like, yeah, but you just recruited this hotshot surgeon. He wants my product. And long story short, it didn't happen. Killed the whole deal because just dollars. And so that was depressing is not the right word, but very frustrating because like this healthcare is not run by the doctors. It's run by spreadsheets and budgets. And we have a CFO here of a hospital system and it's interesting to hear what he thinks and his take versus we have probably have like 20 physicians here too. One's a business guy. One's a medical person. And the weird thing, like if you're in that industry, we've had a guy come in here to talk about how that whole system operates, which is completely just whack, <laughs> but they, because they don't want a business guy running it because well, he's not a medical person. So he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, but no, he does, but we want a doctor running it because they care about the medical, but they don't know how to run a business. Yeah. So you have these two conflicting things. And at the end of the day for people, it is a business. Yeah. Like when you remember like all the pandemic stuff, they'd be like, Oh, the ICU is, is this full. And that's always super terrible. However, the ICU has to be pretty full for it to be profitable to make money. Yep. And that's where like when they would put that on the news, it always like kind of made me salty because I'm like, well, you're saying that. And people at home are like, well, is the ICU usually 10% full? Fuck no. Yeah. That thing has to be pretty close, man, because that thing has to make money. Like these doctors and nurses aren't working for free. Yeah. It is a for-profit system. It's a for-profit system and worse from if you are in the – anyone listening that's in medical sales or has any experience with it. The problem also is – their budgets are different depending. Like, so I was in dialysis. So I would go in to the the units that were putting them in, like uh, vascular surgery, for example, and say, hey, you should buy this premium product and pay more for it because they last longer in a dialysis unit. And they're like, well, we don't really care because we don't have that concern. Like, that's not our budget. So you're making us pay more for someone else's benefit. So it becomes a very problematic situation when you there's like a, it's like a moral dilemma yeah because someone else's job is to save money for somebody else that doesn't keep their job so this is why i was like getting more interested in the business of business like finance whereas like because the business of healthcare was well because that way it's transparent like if you're a finance guy when you're essentially like depending on the model like if it's like you're a brokerage fiduciary whatever we can talk about that but when your clients make money, you make money. Yeah. And that's what you're there to do. You're not there to, you know, make them healthier. Yeah. In, in like physically in a, in a way where if I work for Stryker, Medtronics, whatever, hey, you know, use my tool, use my thing. It's the best. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it's not like now we're haggling on price, <laughs> not what's best for the patient or whatever. And we might use this because, you know, hopefully you would go with what the doctor wants. Yeah. Because if that's the best possible, why wouldn't the doctors want the best possible shit to do the best possible job? Well, it doesn't fit the, well, what do you mean it doesn't fit the budget? So you're giving me like some second tier shit to put in my body because I mean, that's the real it's happening. Yeah. That's uh the takeaway. Just be healthy if you can. hundred percent. Yeah. And that's it. The last couple of years, I think shine a real light on this, that it's the business of healthcare. And even when I was getting started, they were phasing out like the heyday, like people, when I would be, I was probably on 22, 23, like you said, you have friends that do it. Most of the people who, and for people listening, like anybody can do medical device. But if I'm just being completely honest, because I don't give a shit. <laughs> most of the people who do well in it are younger. 
Um, they tend to be uh, good looking. Mm-hmm. They tend to have been former athletes or be athletic. And they don't have a wife and a husband and a family because they can just go and do all the things. Like all my friends who do it were former athletes who are good looking dudes who go out. And the same thing. And I hate to say this, like even the girl who's like super attractive, she goes out, she fucking crushes. Yeah. Because these are who she's entertaining. It's a sales job. Yeah. And they, they know she's not tied down to all these things. So they can basically use you guys in this time frame any way they need yeah. to. Like the big companies, like the strikers, and I don't know if you have to take that word out, but like they would, they make you take a personality test. And part of that is like they want to know your leadership, like D1 athletes. Like they're, they're looking, 100%. They're looking for a, that's not a, a secret. Su- yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Fuck, dude. But like, so and they're getting mad. Like that's what you do. Yeah. Like, that's it's, real thing. it's exactly because you, especially, well, the difference also when I was in medical, it's a little different, at least when I was in it, in pharma. Um, all the managers in medical, when I was there, they wouldn't even interview people that were in pharma. And their reason was like, they're not salespeople. They're professional entertainers. Because at the time I was in medical, they had already gotten away with the ability to like, fly doctors to Aspen and like do all the elaborate stuff that was basically driving sales. And Oh yeah. Because it used to be, well, it, 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 all those industries used to be that way. The same thing with, you could incentivize basically. It yeah. still goes on. The, that's a thing. Yeah. When I was there, like that's one of the things I didn't like. Like we were, myself and my colleagues were losing business all over the country because like I was, I wasn't allowed to do any of that. Like our budgets for like, we had to get permission to bring in donuts and bagels and then our colleagues were like taking people a happy hour. I'm like, or our competitors. Yeah. And so it's like, dude, like we're not, we're not on the same playing field of like schmoozing these people. That's like it's recruiting. Yeah. It's, the same. it's, it's just college, recruiting. It's like you know college football, like the whole NIL deals now, where these schools, like the schools who recruited great before, oh weird, they recruit great now. Well, it's like these donors have so much money. They basically create a, a fake sponsorship to give a kid like, well, we'll give you $3 million to disperse to these athletes and we sponsor them to come to insert school, Alabama, Georgia, yeah. Clemson, whoever, and they keep crushing. It's the same thing. 100%. It's, yeah. I don't know if it's gotten different since I left. It's been a while since I was in it, but they were trying to clean that up. And in my opinion, they should do it for pharma as well because it also drives a lot of the cost because we're – paying for it as a consumer yeah. all that whining and dining they're doing well it's like the system like you can't i can't fault anybody like even the biggest if it's uh, medical device companies pharmaceutical companies, they're just playing the game oh yeah like in oh we're gonna hire um smart attractive motivated people with nothing tying them down well who the fuck wouldn't want to do that yeah like that's the oh yeah it's a cheat code it's great i don't i don't blame the medical device companies i more dislike or got disenfranchised with the hospital systems and that's a whole separate thing about how healthcare is you got to basically tear it down to, to fix it because it's too far the systems are it's too deeply embedded like yeah i mean the easiest way to look at it like i'm a big fan of capitalism just free markets like let the markets decide and you can look so quickly like look at lasik and then look at anything that's a contracted rate lasik's going down in price with technology and skill everything else just keeps going up What's the difference? One's not covered. One's free market. And you see that all across the board. Whatever's not covered by insurance, the price gets competitive. Everything that is covered by insurance, it goes up every year on us. Like, what the hell? Because it's guaranteed. It's the whole, it's the student loans. Yeah. It's the same. I mean, if you're, 
God, this podcast is going to go off the fucking rails here. <laughs> like if you, but think about that. Like, okay, if Ike was federally guaranteed to get membership rates here, and even if you default on it, you're, they're paying out what? Uh, 97 cents in the dollar or something. So I would raise the memberships here every month. Why would I not? Yeah. And what I'm saying is for everybody listening, like if you're a college, you can raise your tuition rates every year and you cannot default on these loans. The federal government will guarantee to give you the money. So school that your kid's going to go to is going to be more expensive next year than the year before. Yeah. But at such a huge increase too, because they're guaranteed to get the money. Insurance is the same. It's your point, LASIK. I never thought about like the LASIK example. How much does it cost now to do LASIK? I think it's, I don't know. I've never got it done. Um, I think it's like around 3000 or so. But I mean, even I think like augmentation surgery, like the cosmetics, like they're, they all become more reasonable in price because the, all the doctors that do it have to compete with each other. Yeah. There's not some company like the insurance companies be like, well, you'll all make this. So just start doing it. This is just the rate. Right. Yeah. That's all bullshit. The two, like the two examples that you just named, like healthcare and education historically the highest inflation rates and at, we all just accept it at such a clip to where you cannot even remotely keep up like yeah. when you look at wage increases to the cost of like college increases there's kids here where they go to <clears throat> like syracuse for undergrad it's 80 some thousand dollars a year so you're telling me no offense to anybody your kid's going to spend 300 and minimum i mean even if they get some scholarships 300k on a bachelor's degree, there is not a bachelor's degree on the planet, dude, that is worth $300,000. What's your kid going to be, a fucking rocket scientist? Yeah, he better be like a drone engineer or something because yeah. otherwise he'll need that guy. Because otherwise you're going to take out $700,000 of loans to be a doctor. And like, I guess, dude, but you bought yourself like a really stressful, like high skill job. That, yeah, pays a lot, I guess, but you're going to be broke for the next 15 years. It, it's a tough gig because it pays a lot, but it doesn't pay quickly. Because of the way that, like, they go through the residency and all that, oh. so so that loan interest is rolling while your income is not. And we so have some they, friends, uh, like anesthesiologists, student loans like sixty five hundred bucks a month, and almost paid off. Uh, about about my age, which is like super fast for that, that. is pretty aggressive. Yeah, that but again, has lived like they make a hundred grand a year, not four hundred and some thousand right. a year. Oh, and by the way. That job is like not without stress. You can kill somebody like yeah. any two seconds, which would be tough. And I'm like, I just, I watched that. I'm like, it doesn't have to be that way. And I do think that does change sooner than later. Yeah. Like the, the next generation for sure. But there's going to be like a tipping point of, okay, we got to stop vilifying like plumbers and construction workers. Cause first yeah. of all, we need those people to do those things and we need them to be good. And everybody shouldn't go to college. I don't mean that negatively, but your shitty English degree is yeah. fucking worthless. I need a plumber. Yeah. Like, that's a skill. And to be in debt for all these things and to teach kids, like, this is the best thing, there's going to come a tip. You're already seeing it. If you're going to forgive the loans, basically what you're saying is the loans are shit. Yeah. Because the job you got was too fucking crappy to pay off the loan, so we need to forgive them, which I'm not a fan of, and I've talked about this on here before, too. 100%. So it's like you're doing that at some point. If you're a parent, I'm a parent. It's like, hey, man, I'm not going to pay 180000 bucks for you to get a bachelor's degree from University of Arizona or UNLV. Yeah. It's just not worth it for you to go sell insurance. Like, there's a there's a different route you can take. Totally agree with you. So it's got to happen. I don't know when, but it's coming. They need – and that's what drives me nuts. Like, because you brought it up. I totally agree with you. That debt forgiveness, complete bullshit. 
because, like I said, there's a lot of people, like, I paid my loan, so I don't want to pay someone else's now. We paid my wife's off, yeah. So it's like, Do you retroactively one. get money back? Right. And they when they asked Elizabeth Warren that, she was like, of course not. It's like, well. So, so you're rewarding shitty behavior. Yeah. And we're punishing the responsible people. Yeah. Okay, makes sense. They need to just do it. They need to treat loans like they treat every other loan, like student loans, like every other loan. It needs to be underwritten based on what's actually happening. The same way you do for a mortgage. Yeah. If you're about to go and get like a degree in or pre-med and go down to see like, okay, we'll give you more money because you're going to pay it off. You're going to have a high skill. Yeah. If you're going to go get an English degree or gender studies, okay, we'll underwrite you for like a $5,000 loan, you know, whatever yeah. it is. And then let the universities figure that out. It's like, well, this is all they're getting. So either make it charge that or don't offer it because getting a blank check to these universities is the problem. Well, and I, this is an example I'll give and we'll, we'll move on because I have to say this. Like I always will t- – you know, I have these conversations with friends too. And I'm not like – I hated school first of all. So like I'm obviously biased. Uh, I love – college is fun. Played sports, hooked up with chicks, drank booze. Like it was fucking great. Uh, you know, I learned a couple things for sure. More about life than anything else yeah. than some of the, the tech stuff. But hated under hated like high school, all those different things. And I've had this conversation with people. I'm not saying – it isn't worth it. Some scenarios, it is worth it. But there there comes a point where it's not. Yeah. Like the, the cost is, is way too high for what you're doing because it's hamstringing you basically for essentially the rest of your life. And they're like, what do you mean? I go, and imagine how, how reckless these loans are. You're asking a kid, first of all, at 18, what they want to do when they're 40, which is ridiculous. And I, I don't have a really a solution for that. I go, however, if I said... At 20, let's say, I'm, when do you go to school? Seven, 18 years old of your college? Yeah, I'm 18. If I go down to Wells Fargo and I say, okay, I want to start this company called Jeremy Scott Fitness. They're going to laugh in my fucking face for one. And I'm going to say, here's my business plan. Um, I have, a, I probably, if I want $10,000, let's say, I probably need two co-signers for sure or put a lien on a property if I own it or something. I need to have some collateral yeah. because they're like, this guy's probably going to fail because most small businesses, I think after five years, only 15% of them really make it. And even at the longer it goes, it's less. So they'd be like, okay, well, maybe we'd give you ten grand if like your mom or dad and uncle sign on it and if we can put a, a, a lien on your car. If I at 18 walk down to ASU and say, I want 30000 bucks to go to school, what do you want to study? I don't fucking know. Cool, dude. Here's your money. <laughs> do you see how ridiculous that is? I'm going to do something where I'm going to actually make money and I'm maybe going to hire other people and have like an infrastructure so I'm supporting jobs and I'm earning income. No, we won't give you the ten grand because we probably won't get it back. But yet we'll give you the thirty for school, and we don't even know what you want to do. That is, that's what's going on, and that's lunacy to me. Couldn't agree more. And, and people, I say that, and they're like, "Well, yeah, that actually, that does make sense." Yeah. So we won't give it. But you know why Wells Fargo won't do it? Because they're like, "Because they're ris- on the hook." It's risky. Yeah. And if the school was on the hook for it, they wouldn't give your dumbass a loan either. Because yeah, like we're probably not going to get it back. Yeah. It's just crazy, man. And you can't do anything with it. All you can do to get out of your loans is die. Yeah, because like they'll take people's like you can't get rid of them in bankruptcy. They'll take people's social security money, and like gar- I, garnish it. I believe yeah, if they I still mean, if they're still there, that's really fucking sad. It's yeah, like the the argument gets frustrating because they they'll use the example of the people that owe a ton, whatever. But it's like all right, I get it. I feel bad for you, but you are a victim of the system. But I'm also not volunteering to bail you out. And, but that's to be like case by case though. Like if someone's like you know hey I couldn't pay him back I'm like. Well, d- dude, I drove a, I drove a 2008 Honda Accord for like 12 fucking years, dude. It's a piece of shit. And 
I could have went and bought a Range Rover. I could have bought all these things instead of buying properties and investing, but I didn't. Yeah. Did you drive a shitty car the whole time or did you drive something nicer? Like, did you really hustle and work 100 hours a week like I did? Yeah. If not, I'm like, I do have empathy because I'm a human, but I'm like, you didn't really, because that's how what we I grew up, right? You're similar. You have debts, you pay them. Yeah. You signed up for something, just do what you're supposed to do. Yeah. But we've gotten away from that for sure. We've gotten away from it as a, a society, but also the blame game of like, they're blaming the debt. Like we just talked about what the real problem is. Like the debt shouldn't be free money to these universities because the universities have carte blanche, just charge whatever they want because they'll get paid. And I don't blame them for that either. Like I would. I would, I mean, do, the same, I would do the same thing if it was my business. Yeah, yeah. Like they're running a profitable bit. Like look at some of their endowment programs. Like they're doing great. Dude, they have like some of these have billions. Mega billions. I, I think, think with the B. The, the top 10 I think have, I think, like, it's, I think it's like interesting. I think the top 10 and then like versus like the 11th, it's like a massive drop off, I think, from like some of these have more money than like Facebook and shit. Yeah, I think like it, it's cra- it's crazy. I read it the other day; it was not long. The ago. number one is, I think, Harvard, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and I think they have enough money to never charge tuition again for like decades. Is probably an understatement. I think it's like hundreds. Oh, if of you're years. in if you're like, in billions, yeah, it's got to be like the, hundreds amount, of years. the amount of money they're making just on like the interest on their endowment. It's That's wild, crazy, dude. And they still charge whatever they charge. What a scam. <laughs> Fuck. So you quit. <laughs> so you quit medical device and got into fitness or finance. Yes. So this is now 2010, and uh, I was just a stockbroker. Um, did not in New York. Yeah, I yeah. was working on uh, 120 Broadway. Was where I eventually ended up. But yeah, right by Wall Street. So it was a cool vibe. But unfortunately for me, I came up that that boiler room route. Like it was, that's why like all my friends love the movie Wolf of Wall Street. I hate that movie because like well, I knew people like that. He's a criminal. I knew people like that. Like, like we, like they would get on the phone and their job was just to sell you. Um, like I'll give you an example. My first place I ever worked, they sold corporate bonds. And so we'd be on there. Like I just, when, before you're licensed, all you're allowed to do is dial the phone and then literally you throw it to the person who is licensed. Like so, Boiler Room, the movie. Yeah. Literally. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is why I hate all that stuff. Cause like it's real life. And, like, I was sitting next to people that just had no soul. They just didn't give a shit. And so I was older, too, because I'm at this point, like, kind of, like, 28 probably. And most of my colleagues are, like, 19 living at home and just literally like the movies. Like, just dialing the phone and, you know, making as much money as they can. Yeah. And so literally for the first month, while you're studying for, like, this – you're studying for, like, the Series 7 and 63. This is, like, the financial exams you need to take. So you're not allowed to talk to customers until you have those. So literally you dial the phone and say hello, and they would, like – is John there? Like, oh, this is John. Literally, you just throw a cordless phone. Like, this is a little while ago. Yeah. Throw the cordless phone to the guy who um, is licensed. And he would just be like, oh, hey, John. And then blah, blah, blah. Always kind of weird to me that no one noticed. Like, the voice changed. But they don't. And so we would do that. They would sell them corporate bonds. They would hold, hold a script. And so once I got licensed, um, now I'm not allowed to, like, talk to clients and open accounts. So I had some clients that was like, oh, the... Like, they would open the trade. Let's say it was, like, I think the time we are selling, like, Rite Aid bonds. And uh, it was, like, $70, I forget. And so the client would call up a few days later, like, hey, like, here's your stuff. Like, you have to pay for the trade. And a lot of times they don't want to anymore. Like, that's just the deal with stockbrokers uh, or clients that work with stockbrokers. So you have to try to get them to pay after you put the trade in. And so I would go to the senior person, like, he doesn't want to pay. It's like, what are you talking about? He bought it at 70 It's worth 75 Like, you'd be an idiot not to buy so I would be like, hey, it's worth 75 Like, you have a profitable trade. Like, you've seen the send of money and blah, blah, blah. So, okay. 
So after like a month, I was like, can you just tell me how to look these up so I don't keep bothering you? He's like, I don't know what these cost. We just sell them whatever they need this here to pay for it. I was like, you serious? He's like, yeah. So I quit there shortly thereafter. Like it's – like people don't understand. Like there's so much scamming. Like these like the stock brokers, which is why. This still is good today? So it's got to be better now. So maybe I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. It's getting better in that the world is moving to fee based. When you're when you're talking to a stockbroker, like I specifically use that term commission versus like an investment advisor. I'm like, yeah, because you're charging a commission on the sale versus like most financial advisors, they charge like a percentage of what they manage. Yep. When you're in the commission world, you can get caught in what's called churning, where it's like they don't get paid unless the money moves. So that's why you're not on the same side of the table as your client because if you're in like Google, obviously it's not investment advisor, but if you're in like Google and you're just like, this is a great company, I'm going to hold it for three decades, that investment advisor or that stockbroker would have gotten paid once and you get the benefit for 30 years. He wants you to move it multiple times because every time you move it, yeah, fee. He, fee. He'll be like, today it's Google, tomorrow it's Amazon, back to Google, back to Amazon. And then Jesus. they make a ton and you're like, I don't get it. I had all these profitable trades. Why am I down? It's like, well, because commissions. And that's called churning, and it's illegal, but people do it. Um, that's crazy, man. So those are stockbrokers. And they're, the regulatory authorities are trying to get rid of the commission world because that's where the predatory nature For comes sure. in. But the reality is they're not they're not getting rid of it as, as quickly as – like you can see like FTX just went down. Like these regulators are yeah, behind does, the eight ball. I don't want people to get lost here, but how does like – FTX is like – Fucking Enron, dude. It's, like worse. That I'm still like trying to wrap worse. my head around that because, like, they for people like you want to explain it super fast for people listening. I'm not sure I'm even qualified to do it because it's a he's a he's a it's a crypto fund essentially. It was a but they had their own tokens and shit. I'm trying to understand it. Yeah, I'm trying to understand it as well. I had someone on my podcast that explained it, and I still don't fully get it. He basically was taking people's money and people are investing money like. Tom Brady, right? Like real people, like they were investing. real money. So the thing that I guess is important for people to understand is like when you give your money to certain financial institutions, all they're doing, like TD Ameritrade, Fidelity's, they're custodians. They're only supposed to just hold your money. It's it's legally your money. It's not theirs. He was taking their money and paying losses from like their sister company that they were investing your money with. He was it Alameda or something like that? I believe so. Yeah. And he didn't have permission to do that. Like, it wasn't his money. He was basically paying his personal bad trading with other people's money, mm-hmm. as I understand it. And obviously, that's completely illegal. And for some reason, he's not in jail at this point. <laughs> we just... Yeah, that's criminal as hell. Because this is like Bernie Madoff shit. I think it's going to end up being more. I think Bernie... That's crazy. I think Bernie Madoff was like well, around $55 billion. I think he's already above that in terms of like crypto assets how is he not in prison today it doesn't make sense and then there's like all this weird stuff where the sec was helping them write regulations and i thought i heard even recently that the sec was like an investor or something there's some weird connection with the regulators were like basically in bed with his situation jesus but i mean you watch the, the problem i have with the the regulators in general like i think i could be quoting this wrong but i think mark cuban got accused of something like 10 years ago and he fought it and people are like would it be i think his like team was like basically like, it'd be cheaper if you just pay this fine and be done with it and he's like but i didn't do what they said 
yeah. and screw them. I'm my my team is smarter than them because realistically, I don't know if you listen to the show, but realistically, if you work for these companies, you're not as smart as the private sector because that's the track. Like if, if you know anyone in compliance for finance, they desperately want to get a job at like FINRA or the SEC, do their two or three years, and then boom, they're going to be head of compliance for some massive private equity fund or hedge fund making two or three times what they were making. So that's where the money's at. Right. Yeah. So the smart people that stay or the people that stay, it's because they weren't recruited out. So it's like Mark Cuban's way saying, I'll go to battle with them because the I people, the the people I hire will yeah. be smarter than the people that are still there. So the takeaway is like, be careful who you give your money to. Be careful who you give your money to. But yeah, like I'm frustrated with the, the regulations because you'll see people like the Wolf of Wall Street and uh, a lot of like, if you ever watch that show, American Greed. Oh yeah, yeah. Like if I'm in like a hotel or something, it'll be on, and like I, it sucks me in. It's it's interesting because you'll sit there and watch a lot of what happens. I'll give you an example because again, I, I unfortunately got to meet a lot of snakes in this game when I was um, trying to find my way in finance. So my next employer after this one, there was one in the middle, but just short period of time, they weren't too bad, but. The next person, like, you know, the, um, it's very popular now, but the, the ability to buy a private company while they're still private. So it's called like buying the shares in a secondary market pre IPO. You've heard of all that. Yeah. So I worked for a company that was basically the pioneer of that. They were very good friends with Eduardo Sovereign, the co-founder of Facebook. And so he, at that point was like, whatever that falling out was, but he had millions of shares, but he had no money or not necessarily no money, but they had the ability to give you money because it's like, Hey, you got all this money in your stock, but Facebook's private. So they, they were one of the first companies to go out there and be like, Hey, Jeremy, like I can, like, I know you got like a million dollars worth of stock and your kid's ready to go to college and you're worth millions on paper, but you have no money per se. Yeah. How about I buy $500,000 of your Facebook shares? Here's a check for $3 million, whatever it was worth. And then I'll go sell it to investors who want to be private shareholders. So their shares are just like yours as an employee. Like Facebook would go public. They're locked up for six months, just like if, as if they worked there. They're Make, one of the first people doing this. Makes sense. Yeah, it's it's now very popular. Like people giving liquidity to employees of these big tech companies that... If you think they're going to crush. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you're like, hey, it's Uber before Uber or you know, the call map before the call map or whatever yeah. it is, the things that TikTok before TikTok. Especially because some of these companies, depending on where they are, they're strategically not going public yet. And if you're an employee, like your salary might not be that high because they're like, well, you're about to be part of something huge. We're mostly giving you equity. So it's very popular when people would come in with like a big check and be like, hey, give a, sell us your shares. So they were doing that. And they were one of the first people doing it. Because I remember cold calling people. This is 2011, I believe. And it was kind of funny because I was trying to tell people like, like, what's this Facebook you're talking about? Like, I'm telling you, it's going to be like this big company. And like, so that's, I ended up getting a lot of West Coast clients because I was talking to them about like Twitter and Facebook and these ones out on the East Coast were like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, that's this crazy. sounds like a scam. And they're like, wait, my daughter's friend works at Facebook. I think that's like a legit company. And so long story short, they were doing very good business. Then that's why I referenced American Greed. The owner started getting greedy and started doing sales violations. Like when you're dealing with private equity, for people who don't know, you're not allowed to pitch private equity to people who are not accredited investors. Basically, they have to be worth more than a million dollars or you're not allowed to pitch them the product because 
they're not at the risk level to accept it because private equity loses a lot compared to wins. Like it, there's a lot of risks involved. I've got, I heard somebody talk about that too, not that long ago where he was like, that's kind of a bullshit rule, right? The credit investor rule. Yeah. Cause he's like, fuck that dude. He's like, why do these dudes get like access to all this stuff? You don't get access to. He's like, cause like they're either they, and it was the million again. Cause I th- I'm almost positive. That's what it was. And he was stating a case why it should be like, it should go away. Because like, oh, they're trying to protect you. He's like, but they don't protect you from going to the casino and doing us all their stupid shit. That's and a like, good point. I, underst- I, ho- I heard it both ways. I don't know. It's tough because, again, people do dumb stuff either way. Yeah. And I'm like, we can go smoke cigarettes and do whatever. But I'm like, I can't. I can go to the casino and blow everything, but I can't buy this because I don't have a million bucks. Like, he was, God, I forget the conversation, but I was listening to it. And I'm like, it was interesting. Like, just, and it popped in my head because you said that. I, I agree with both sides of it because – private equity is very sexy and most go to zero. So it's that's like, the thing. Like for every Facebook, there's 10,000 shit books yes, that never pop. Exactly. Like for people listening, maybe they have a better understanding on like the health and medical side, like investing in like a medical device or a pharma drug, like the vast majority go to zero and never get to market. And so if you're an investor, you hear like, oh, they got this really cool idea. This doctor's so smart. They got this thing. I want to put a million bucks in. And then boom, that million bucks goes to zero. zero. Like very few become, you know, the cure for cancer or whatever that people That's are true. always hoping. So I get why they're like, you shouldn't be allowed to do it because the investment most likely is not going to work out for you statistically. Yeah. So if you're not worth a million bucks, and I think I'll convert on the other side, like people like if you're raising the money for it, you don't want to. Dude, be like, oh, I got five grand. It's like, man, it's like fifty thousand is usually the minimum, and so like, you're not dealing with people. You need real money to play. You real money to play, and then I know from the in institutional side, you want them to be big boys. In that, like, if it's not doing so well, you're not getting a thousand phone calls. It's like, dude, you you know what you signed up for? Like this thing, even if it worked, it's not going to work for like five or ten years. Like, yeah, because it's like if you if someone was like, hey, Jeremy, I'm going to do this thing, and you a thousand bucks. I'm like, sure, dude. Yeah. Like I'm and if you and if it went to zero, I'm like, I'm not gonna cry. I'm not yeah. gonna call you. I don't give a shit. If it ends up being ten grand, even that, cool. Doesn't yeah. change my life. It's that part of it I get for sure. Do you guys have a minimum do you have like a minimum? Like when you work with people, like that they have to invest with you? No, like I try to be completely because I hate Wall Street. Um, I am very investment agnostic. So I work as like basically a financial consultant. They pay me a monthly fee. So if they want to do the stock market, crypto, real estate, I don't care. Like I'm helping them get the their financial planning done. And whatever they decide to do with the actual investments themselves, that's cool with me. Like um, we can dive into it later on. But like I'm a big fan of having people not keep their retirement accounts in Wall Street products. Like let them self-direct it, do whatever they want, invest in what they know most. And I personally think that's that's the better way to, because the, my competitors are all just like everything stock market, stock market, everything stock market. And it's like, well, if you want to do real estate, then your advice is going to be very contradictory because it's like, well, I want to put a million dollars into a commercial property. If your investment advisors, any of the big firms are going to be like, oh, I don't really like that idea. And here's why. They're not making money. They're not making money. But something else that's interesting that people may not know if you work, if you have your money with like what's a broker dealer, like, and the, I'm not going to name any of them, but like the major ones, the ones that have all the commercials and the giant buildings. Yeah. 
they're all broker dealers and they have a rule and i think you said you we will talk about this later like being a fiduciary versus suitability you can exp- you can explain to people if you want to yeah so suitability is and i the, the one way I've heard it described, and I don't know if this best example is like. Well, I'll give you my dummy example. If you're like a fiduciary, your how I understand it is your responsibility is like to the actual person first. Like your responsibility is that if you have Jim's money, you got to make sure you're not fucking Jim and you're doing what's in Jim's best interest first. These other people who are not, let's say they don't fall under this fiduciary title, not that they're doing something that's not in your interest, but they're going to do stuff where they get a bigger kickback or a bigger fee or they make more money first. You'll still make some money too, but they might be more inclined to do other things that pay them a bigger commission or maybe they get more money than if they did this trade. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the example would be like similar to we just talked about private equity. Like if you told me, you're like, Pat, I want to work with you. I am very risk averse. I really just want to keep things very safe, very slow and steady. And I'm worth $10 million. And then I come to you with a crypto trade for 50000 And it goes to zero. Like, you were suitable for that investment because if you lost fifty grand and you got $10 million liquid, like, who cares? Yeah. But that is not in your best interest because you did not want that. So from a suitability perspective, I did nothing wrong. As a fiduciary, totally ir- totally wrong and fiduciary is like a legal requirement like lawyers are fiduciaries like you have to do what's in the client's best interest and so the problem with the big firms like my firm is independent and i recommend anyone work with independent i'm not just saying that because i do it but that's the reason i'm independent yeah but when you're at these big firms they have a rule called selling away and it's actually against their employment contract to give you advice that would result in the client taking money away from the firm so if you've got a few million dollars with your big firm and say, I'm thinking of buying this million dollar property. He's like, that's a great idea. They run the ROI and they're like, you should do it. And their boss finds out that that's the reason a million dollars just left. They could be fired. That's crazy. Yeah. Selling away. So it's like, they're not going to give you tax advice because they're not allowed to. Usually they're not allowed to tell you to do things that are not in the firm's best interest in terms of holding your assets. So you end up with very, like, and I'm not, there's a lot of really good people at those firms. Oh, 100%. Like, we've had people on here from, like, Merrill, uh, Morgan Stanley, yeah. Oppenheimer, you name them. Like, but, and again, there's, this is, like, everything. It's, like, when people are, like, you know, when there are people who are doing, like, the defund the police shit. Like, oh, all cops are terrible. I'm, like, this is fucking ridiculous. Yeah. So I go, there's teachers that molest fucking kids. Yeah. Is, are all teachers fucking terrible? It's no, that's insane. Most teachers are awesome people. 100%. Most cops did it because they like want to help people. <laughs> Most finance people aren't awesome. shitheads. 100%. But it's that 1%, 3, 4, 5% that like that's where it's like you got to be again, and if you're going to work for money, which is the most important thing you're doing is spending your time, you you want it to be with somebody like you like to me, it's like I need a person. Like what's the yeah. cuz Schwab's model's different. Schwab you kind of call and you get anybody, is that right? They have they've different two models. different tiers, yeah. Yeah, like you can have their like dial a cfp and and so like and my wife number. my wife works for corporate marriott so they have um oh my god vanguard yeah, yeah. has all their shit but it's not where she doesn't talk to a person yeah it's just like and again they their fees are super low 
They they have a lot of like a lot of the big guys like they also have the DIY options now. So if you know what you're doing, you yeah. can save a lot of money. And they have like they have the basic like I don't know if they run like a Monte Carlo system or if they have like the basic model of like hey if you're yeah. you're young you don't give a shit do whatever and it's it's fine for what that is. So yeah. what I'm saying is there's great people across the board, but there's also people who are into it just to enrich themselves first and and not you. Yeah, like you when it comes to the big companies, you have to look at your advisor. And it's different than the people who own the company. Because the challenge is if you own these big companies, like I give tax advice because at the time my company is me. When you run these massive companies, you have thousands of advisors. Like you said, some of them are completely idiots. So they have to have a rule like, hey, no one give tax advice because the 90% that would give good tax advice wouldn't matter because the 10% would get them lawsuits. So they have to be like, hey, guys, girls, no tax advice because some of you are going to screw it up so bad we'll get screwed. So like that's some of the limitations of these mass firms. Be- and unfortunately, like they grow to a size where like crap. Now we have to pull some things back because of exactly what we just said. Like it, they have to protect themselves from the idiots that they accidentally hire. Yeah, like we like obviously I have a I have a CPA and an advisor, and I just have them talk because I'm like, hey, that's dude, the way to do it. Man. Just get on your stuff. I'm like. Because what you're saying sounds like made up shit, and what you're saying sounds like made up shit, and I'm like, let's meet. And they, but it's like some I wouldn't know because it's it's too complex for me. Like I know enough to be dangerous. I think like I like to this stuff interests me and I study it, but especially the tax stuff. Because I'm like Jesus, dude. It's like it's all over the place. But when he can talk to him, especially on like okay, like for us, like we have like a a SEP that we set up here, like a yeah. self employment pension fund, which is our version of like a 401k, I guess, sure. if you will. And like, but I don't know like the limits and what have I paid him? Yeah. What's this year? What can I do? Percentage of income? What's the max? Like those types of things. So it is helpful. But if you only have a finance guy and you are using TurboTax, it's probably not the best setup. Yeah. I mean, anyone listening who is an entrepreneur, I really don't think you should be doing your own taxes. Oh, because... dude, there's no, dude, when I get my shit, it's a fucking book, dude. It's yeah. this thick. And I'm looking at it like, I don't even, I'm like, how much did I make? Yeah. Like, I'm literally trying to figure it out. I'm like, and I, obviously we have our own books and stuff, but I'm like, it's complex. It's very complex. And it changes. It's complex. It changes. Like, And on top of that, there's so many loopholes and things like that. Like, people get mad at, like, the Bezoses and the Trumps of the world. They're like, you're not paying taxes. Like, they're smart. They're playing the game, They're bro. playing the game. They're and- to the level where they make enough, like, there's levels of being rich, right? Yeah. Like, so you can be like kind of rich and you still got to pay a shit ton of taxes, <laughs> but then you get like stupid rich yeah. and then you're good to go. Yeah. Cause I mean, they're having teams of people. I mean, anyone listening, you got to get that real estate professional. <laughs> if your business or like the tax code is written to help the economy, at least it should be. And most of it is if you're employing people and giving the economy jobs or giving them housing, or you marry those two and you're in the business of giving people housing, the tax code is all yours. And they crush. And yeah, so if so if you're an entrepreneur, you've got to get with a, a an accountant that is going to talk to you about these tax savings. It, you're paying an accountant like five or six hundred bucks, which is probably gonna cost you that if you're like a regular sole proprietor. The more you make, the more Yeah, you, but like you don't pay. go like don't do the TurboTax for like a hundred bucks, like because they'll probably save you more than five hundred in in not missing something that you just don't know that you could write it off. Now the first year I did, like I went from my only like real job to this. Uh, I think my in my real job I would use maybe H and R Block or something yeah. like that, and 
super nice lady. Bless her heart. No fucking clue what she's doing. Um, I don't know that until like I start doing this for the next year and I give it to the firm. I'm still at the same firm now. He's like, oh, yeah, by the way, she messed up. Um, they owe you like a thousand bucks. And at the time, I'm like 26, a thousand bucks. I'm like, dude, this is fucking sweet. Yeah. And do I like a first of all, like my CPA has no personality. He's just like a robot, which no offense. Most are. That's cool. Like he doesn't joke, nothing. He's just, he's been Affleck <laughs> from the accountant. Yeah. His job. And I'm like, like, Chris, are you fucking with me? Like just deadpan, nothing. <laughs> I'm like, awesome, bro. But the certain things like where I messed up and then I have to go back and like amend the taxes. He can fix that. We're getting thousands of dollars back. And then when you're like talking about the COVID shit and they're like trying to explain like this PPP shit and all this nonsense, I'm like, can you explain that to me? Like I'm a two year old. Cause this sounds yeah. like horse shit. And the amount of money he has saved me is 20x, 100x of what, I, what I'll ever pay him. Easily. For sure. Yeah. And and that's why it's, it's it's strange to me that people will cut that corner. Because taxes for most people listening are probably their biggest expense. Like if you're not running a whole giant team, if you're running your business with a very small team, taxes are probably your big expense. And that's the line item that you're cheaping out on and trying to do it like DIY or it's like go hire a professional. Like, because the tax code is complicated for people. Like that's the reason I'm in Arizona right now. I was at a tax conference like, and we're all in the room discussing like strategies and the gray areas because the IRS is purposely vague on a bunch of things. And so it's hard for even tax professionals because it changes so often. So like as things change, like right now, one of the big topics is like short-term rentals. Everyone's using a rule that's like from the 70s for bed and breakfasts and trying to interpret what the IRS thinks because the IRS didn't make that rule for Airbnb. didn't exist. Well, that's what – there's a couple – now I'm going to get all worked up. Um, <laughs> the two things I don't understand, like I don't know the year, and I, I, I know I've Googled it before, when if you put over $10,000 of cash in the bank, like we need to report that. But if you put $9,999 in the bank, like we don't need to report that. Like yeah. these transaction limits. Dude, that was set like 50 years ago when yeah. $10,000 was like a million dollars. <laughs> $10,000 came and buy you a Honda now. Yeah. So why are we not updating that shit? The other one, and this really, <clears throat> this is one that's like, it has hits home for me. If you buy a, your your main residence yeah. and that thing appreciates more than $250,000, or if you're married, half a million dollars, you have to pay capital gains tax on anything over that plus your purchase price. I go, what fucking horseshit rule is that? <laughs> and this is real because I remember talking to my CPA. Like I've lived in Scottsdale for 10 years. I've, I've talked about this before. I got super lucky in real estate, dude. I bought everything at the bottom. It all appreciated. I made so much money. I look like a genius. I'm really not. I go, but my house now is worth over half a million dollars what I paid for it. And I own it outright. So if I sell it, I need to pay these guys money. Why? <laughs> for what, what reason? Oh, you were too successful. We need more money from you. I'm already paying you out the ass for like my normal state income, income small yeah. business tax. And now I need this. Oh, and by the way, when I die, you want to death tax me too? Insanity. They get you every which way. I know it doesn't help anybody, but I just had to get that off my chest because <laughs> I'm super salty about it. That's yeah. a tough one, man. Because it's like you and people are like, oh, I feel real bad for you, Jeremy. I'm like, yeah, but it's the same way I feel about athletes who are in the high, because again, they're not getting money off investments, they're getting money off of salary. Yeah. So in the highest tax bracket possible, if you're in California, it's like over 50%. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you made 10 million bucks this year, you get four and a half. 
Yeah. And they're like, well, you still made four and a half. I go, yeah, but this person has a skill that no one else has. And in 10 years, it's gone. Yeah. And that sucks, dude, to give that much away. It's really depressing when I think about it. Yeah. I mean, that's that, that's literally the, the entire thing about tax planning and trying to strategically move your income because that's exactly it. Like athletes, at, anyone who's a W-2 employee, unfortunately, the Trump tax code was amazing for business owners and real estate business owners. Um, pretty brutal for any W-2 employee. It basically took away everything you had. And so that's the reason you should be a business owner or a real estate or own rental real estate. But um, that's the whole point of tax planning is you're trying to purposely push income into the years where there's a dip or something like that. Because yeah, if you just get a windfall of money like once instead of like over a four or five year period, you get screwed. Yeah. Like, it's, like you just spike into the highest brackets everywhere and that money's just gone. It's tough too, because like, that's the biggest expense that like we have is, you know, cause we run pretty low overhead for the most part. And when taxes are, you know, Oh, I would consider ridiculously uh, high and uh, it's not fun for sure. Because like if you're off, like for us, like if you're an entrepreneur or somebody, um, you have like your financial advisor, your CPA, they communicate, but sometimes things just happen. Like, and, and I'm not saying this in a bad way where, Hey, we might get a contract or something comes through for us where it's an extra hundred thousand, hundred fifty thousand dollars I didn't think was going to come in. Yeah. Well, I didn't know that was going to happen. And all of a sudden now my estimated taxes are off so drastic. Yeah. And then I get that phone call and I see his number on there and I just have anxiety. Like, how bad is it going to be today? Because it's a monster number. And all this money I thought I made yeah. is now gone. I'm like, well, this is horseshit. Yeah. And there's nothing I can do because it just kind of came in. I mean, I could, at that point, like, you, know, you guess the best you can. Yeah. But my point is, if you're an entrepreneur and you don't do estimated taxes, I think you get penalized anyway, yeah. don't you? Yeah, you get penalties and interest on it. So you, sh- you should be doing that. Yeah. It's technically required. So After the first year? So the... In general, so the IRS wants to get paid immediately. They don't want to wait a year. So, like, no one worries about it when you're W-2 because that's why they're doing the withholdings. Like, the IRS wants their money up front. And so we're clear for people. Um, it's not a refund, you guys. Yeah, it's an interest-free it's loan that you gave your them. your money. <laughs> yeah, like, you gave them an interest-free loan. It's not fuck-around money you just got as a bonus. Yeah. It was your money you gave them. Okay. Yeah. Just because yeah. people say I'm not say a big that. fan of refunds for the exact reason. You're, you're getting an – you gave the government an interest-free loan. Yeah. Stupid. It's very stupid. Yeah. I mean, if that's their only way you can save money, all right, fine. But I just, I don't like it because exactly what you said. Because people don't treat it when they get it back. Yeah. Oh, hey, now I'm going to put it into my Roth or I'm going to put it into, no, oh, I'm going to go buy something stupid. Yeah. And then the game just keeps going. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough, man. So that's, so that's why if you're a business owner, they expect to get paid throughout the year. And so those are quarterly. So it's. April, June, September, and then to so the next one as we're recording this, January 15th, everyone knows their Q4. Um, I pay mine before the end of the year just so I get rid of it. I have it on my list. The 16th, wow. I wrote pay tax. I always do mine like the Friday before just because I want to maximize the interest rate I get on it. I'll write it then, but I'll let it sit here for a couple of days and stare at it and just be salty. And then I'll go, <laughs> and I'll go do certified mail and get it to them. But yeah, oh, that well. sucks, man. It's... The only the only time I tell people to not do their quarterly estimate is if they're trying to, if they know what their cost of capital is basically, and they're like, all right, well, because the IRS actually doesn't charge that much relatively. I think right now they move theirs to like five or six percent is what they're charging if you're late. Okay. So if you have a business opportunity, you're like, well, I don't want to put it on a credit card. I'll just use my quarterly estimate money. 
like you still owe it. So don't be stupid. And not it's pay. come April, you still owe the balance due. Yeah. But if you're like, you know what, I'll just the credit card was going to charge me fifteen percent or eighteen percent, whatever it is now. I'm just going to let the IRS charge me six. I'm cool with that because that's a reasonable reason to do it. But if you just forgot, like you're going to get a tax bill plus interest and penalties because you didn't pay them throughout the year. And hopefully you don't have to do that. You can just pay off all your shit and just pay it on time. Yeah, hopefully. you should have a system in place where hopefully. for every dollar that comes in, you're moving like 25% out the door to a separate fund. So you work with basically anybody. They could have a thousand bucks. They can have a million bucks. Doesn't yeah. matter really. Yeah, because the investment side is secondary to like the planning, the tax advisory work, the fractional CFO work. Like we're really deep inside the business. So like, so like you said, like having that team approach being like, all right, well, to hit your financial goals, we should be doing 10,000 a month into whatever this investment strategy is. But then helping someone work back through their business, like, well, how can I actually get that $10,000 a month? Obviously, in the middle of that is a massive tax bill that we can manipulate and be like, well, maybe we'll, we'll move that money through like a retirement account. So that'll be like five or 6,000 of it or something like that. But just not leaving them to have to translate that to their accountant and maybe a business coach or something like that. Like I don't do marketing or anything like that, but, um, yeah. but when I say business coach, like, I mean, well, and you describing it because I have a, a lot of young dudes who will come work here. And that's like one of the first things I'll ask them. I'm like, it, depending on what level they're at in their business, I'm like, well, do you have like from a, from the ground point, like, well, what is your website? Do you have an LLC set up? I'm like, do you have a financial advisor? No, no, no. Do you have someone to do your taxes? No. And I realize like you're fucked. <laughs> for one. but and, and not in a bad way like you're fine but i remember i had to learn all this from working with guys here who ran businesses but i was in a mastermind where that was like piece of it would say hey these are the things you need to do these are the people you need in place and that's where i started to learn about okay like well this is pre-tax this is post-tax this is deferred yeah. this grows tax-free this i don't those are important things to do really important it's really understand so yeah you do need you need somebody and that's what you basically do. Yeah. Like we'll, we'll do everything inside of the business from a financial standpoint. Like we'll do the, the tax filing, the bookkeeping, the, the tax planning, which is that's what November and December are. Like if you're listening to this right now and you've, you need to figure out what your profit's going to be for the year, even just if you want to figure out your tax liability, like you said, because you have four more months to figure that out because you're April 15th, even if you file an extension, you still owe the money on April 15th. Like people, I think, forget that. Like, oh, I filed an extension. That's an extension to do the paperwork. IRS still expects their money on April 15th and then more penalties and interest start. So if people don't pay it by then, then they just get, it's a penalty on top of that plus yeah. whatever extra shit they owe. Yeah. I've never done that. I just, I hate. You just pay it on time. I'm not a debt person. Like, and I feel like that's a debt I owe, which sucks. And yeah. it just bothers me. Like, it's why, honestly, it's like one of the reasons I paid off my house. Cause I'm like, it's just fucking bugging me. Yeah. Looking at this stupid number. Every time I go in this account, I'm like, just, just get rid of it. Yeah. And you don't want the IRS on your case with owing them money and stuff. So just... No, they, they want their money, bro. They want their money. Yeah. They, and for anyone listening that is not, like that stressing out about this, the IRS is actually more reasonable than you think when you owe them money. They have installment plans and things like that. So if you owe them a bunch of money, the worst thing you can do is just like hide. Like Oh, we've had friends where they got like a apartment complex and just starts crushing it. I think he was, his taxes were off by like 80,000 bucks or something. And he didn't have like, He's not a risk saver. Um, so he didn't have the 80 grand. So he just called him and I think he was paying him like, I don't know, 1200 bucks a month for like 
God knows how long. Yeah, but I think they'll do up to six years, I think. Yeah, and then he would do like, hey, if I can chunk more, I'll chunk more, but I'm yeah. on this payment plan for now, which I thought was like, ah, that's actually kind of cool because you like, you again, you fucked up kind of because again, the rules are complex and you didn't know if you get a bunch of money, it comes in, but that makes the, sense. At the end of the day, the IRS is just like any creditor. They want to get paid. They're not trying to be total assholes and be like, yo, us 80 grand. We want it tomorrow because then they're not going to get anything. So they're like, all right, we'll work out a deal with you. Um, but but they're very friendly with that stuff, especially if it's brand new. Like you wait and wait and wait, then you're getting kicked to different parts of the IRS where it's not as no simple. So who who do you like, – like the clients you work with typically? Like do you have an avatar? Who's kind of the scope of who you serve? Yeah. So most of the clients we are, they're like online fitness coaches that – Typically, they're making anywhere between three and five hundred thousand dollars a year. It's a lot, um, which is like from a, our perspective, it's nice because it's a lot of tax planning strategies. And at that level, most of our fees start to more than pay for themselves just in tax savings alone because you're hitting those top brackets and stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, and that's that's what we do. That's that was probably a long bio introduction, but um, and you're in Vegas. In Vegas, been there two and a half years now. And you work with people on OnlyFans. <laughs> Started to come that way. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting vibe in Vegas. Learn more about the adult space than I ever anticipated. But but the, like for people listening, like we were talking earlier, that's the number two, I believe, e-commerce website in the world now. Because so Amazon is one and OnlyFans is two in terms of like. Yeah. Last year, OnlyFans paid out $4 billion to creators. With a B. The B. That's crazy, dude. Imagine that. So when people are listening, like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, there's people on OnlyFans doing a million a month. Yeah, because that that would have meant five billion went in because OnlyFans charges twenty percent. So five billion went into OnlyFans. So they paid out four. That's trippy, man. That's crazy, <laughs> dude. What a world. But again, like, it's a business, though. Yeah. And you got to help them like anybody else, basically. They're they're a great business because they're online entrepreneurs. They don't have like they are very high margin businesses because they don't have much overhead. They don't necessarily have a team other than maybe marketing and accounting and things like that. But I just think, I just think it's a very cool business because of the wealth transfer. Like we talked offline before they're professional athletes in a way there's a, there's a shelf life where people will pay a decent amount to see you, to see them do what they're doing, whatever you do. Yeah. And then at some point that monetary value is going to dry up. And so, like, when you talk to, again, for people, if you don't know OnlyFans, it's kind of like whatever you want to make it. Some Subscription people, service. Yeah. Some people do naked shit on there or who knows what they do. Um, I'm not OnlyFans. I'm an old guy from the Midwest. It's not my thing. I go, but if you're on there and you're the, you know, smoking hot 20-year-old dude or 20-year-old girl and you're on there and they're just crushing it, they're making 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100,000 bucks a month, do you talk to them? Like, do you tell them, like, hey, guys? this is not going to last forever and maybe don't do all this dumb shit with your money. Like, can you say that? Or is that not what you say? Uh, I don't necessarily say dumb stuff you're doing with your money, but I try to get them to start funneling it into investments that will make money. Yeah. Once this is done. Yeah. Just in general, because like who knows what, what the next chapter is for anybody. Yeah. So I'm like, if you're making this, can we just live on less than that and put the rest into assets and pay your, be compliant with the IRS and then just, do what you want to do because who knows if it'll last. And that industry, most people would say it won't like probably, for, it's probably not a person, probably not a 40 year career. Correct. For a lot of people. Well, Correct. and technology changes so fast too. 
Yeah. If you think about like the last 10 years versus the 250 years before that, like the game is completely different. Like yeah. if you would have told me like, Hey man, like the podcast will reach all these people and do this thing. I'm like, I didn't even have a podcast six years ago. Yeah. We've had it for like, you know, five and a half plus years or Hey man, this, when Instagram started, it was just, it was just photos and then it was 15 second videos. Now it's like a whole yeah. fucking who knows what it is. <laughs> if you told me this is like how I'm going to meet super famous people and have all these conversations, I'd have been like, you're crazy. <laughs> but here we are, dude. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess the point is like you don't know. So if you can hopefully invest in things that make money over time so you can – I guess the, the way I look at it for me, it's like it's like everything. When you start off playing sports, you suck. And fitness, you suck, all that. And over time, you're going to get better. But you as a person, as you get older – you have typically more stress, less life energy. You don't recover as fast. This is just part of the game. <laughs> and I've felt that from like being an athlete and just being in fitness for this long. And I thought about it monetary wise. I'm like, well, I don't want to have to do the things at 26 I did for money when I'm 46. Yeah. And I know one day people will probably think I suck and not want to talk to me. Maybe not. But even if it does, like, I don't know if I want to talk to them. I don't know if I want to come in here. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, I would like to have things that are paying me and that go up in value. So my life, I guess what I'm saying is on this back end can be easier, not harder for me. So it's like people doing something today that them at 55 is saying, hey, thanks, dude, for not being yeah. a dipshit. And I think OnlyFans is cool for people that do it in that it sort of forces them to live the role of the entrepreneur that they are because – even CP this all the time with people in the fitness space. Like they're getting paid by Venmo and Cash App and they just think that they can just put that right in their pocket. And it's like, well, the IRS knows you are making that money. Is there limits now on those? Like I know for us, we everything runs through systems here. Sure. Um, there's off stuff like where we have um, some affiliates that will pay through PayPal. Yeah. But if it's over 20K, they just send a 1099 anyway. Yeah. So I get one at the end. It's just, I get the normal form. Yeah. Is Venmo and Zelle and all that do that now too? So... Anything that's a payment processor, they do the 1099s for you. That's why it's kind of cool paying through like a PayPal or a credit card. I know PayPal is their thing recently, which makes people a little less enthused with them. They're trying to bill you, right? If you were talking shit on the internet Misinformation was like a $2,500 fine or something. And then like the next day they're like, sorry, just fucking around. From what I heard, I didn't look into this. They didn't actually change the rule. They just publicly said it, but it's actually in their privacy policy. Oh, or no something. Shit. Supposedly it's like actually in their contract now and they just walked it back. Because people like, are like, like marketing wise, people but are it's like, actually in their legal documents. Yeah. I don't know. But but people like them, like payment processors, credit card, debit cards, they've always been better in my opinion because they'll do the 1099s for you. But when you're sent so like when you're sending someone cash or a check or even Zelle, Zelle's not in that game. That's considered or like an ACH. No one no one's tracking that. So you're obligated to do it for the, the person you send it to. And so when you issue a 1099, it goes two places. The person that you sent the money to, you owe them a 1099, and one goes to the IRS. So that's why anyone out there who's like, oh, you're getting a 1099 from like OnlyFans or whoever, the IRS is waiting for you to tell them you have it because their computer system already received it from the other person. And the other person's definitely going to send it because they can't get the write-off without it. If they're audited and I didn't 1099 somebody, they'll disregard that expense. So... The business owner is highly motivated to 1099 you because like they want to make sure they're covered on their end. But the Zells, the cash apps, because um, Zell came out because everyone thought they were a payment processor. Zell came out like we're not part of this $600 Biden rule. 
Like we're not sending anything to the IRS from what these transactions are because I guess they're more in the ACH world. ACHs don't live under those rules. No shit. It's just the payment processors, which is good because you want to not have to issue 10 items because it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Because like when we do it, yeah, there's two copies. Like if one to our people here and then like there's like a red copy. Yeah. The IRS the IRS. The red copy? Yeah. yeah. I just remember the, the colors are different. Yeah, we do that. Yeah, for sure. And we've had a thing where I think we submitted it, but they had put their wrong. Maybe they we put their social security number. They wanted to put like a TIN or they fucked it up. And so like the numbers were wrong. But the IRS is like, you're fine. We don't give a shit. Like we'll deal with this person if we need to deal with it. Yeah. But yeah, that's report your stuff, everybody. You really should, because especially in 2022, like you're Almost, not getting away with it. Like it's no. it's all digital somewhere. Yeah. Everything we do is our own systems and again like we use like mind bodies our in-person processor yeah it, they send it right to the irs like transfers does it and like we get it and it, like there's no the numbers are the numbers they're the irs with all their flaws they're smarter than people think i was at a tax conference i don't know i think this summer and they were talking about how i think they've recovered already like 3.7 billion in like offline crypto wallets because like they're aggressively going after the crypto bros that owe them a bunch of money. And so that's like very eye-opening. It's like they're finding these wallets that are supposed to be completely off the grid. Like these are people, um, can, like they're just holding the money? Or are these people who trade and they go crazy with it? I think there's people that had crypto and it, owed, owed on their gains and weren't reporting. Because a lot of people in the crypto world are not reporting. And so it's on what the IRS calls like their dirty dozen list of like the things that are highly prioritizing and crypto is one of the things like that's going to be that's that's going to be interesting to me and what comes of that because there's all these people that had 2021 gains that they didn't report on yeah and now 2022 the money's gone and so it's like yeah the irs doesn't care that the money's gone you you didn't owe you didn't pay them for 2021 they're gonna be coming so someone bought like insert whatever some shit coin that was nothing and it went up 20 grand they're supposed to report that if they sold it but if they keep it, then it's nothing. Right. Then it's an unrealized gain. But if you just... So, so they tax like everything else. So like yeah. if you buy you buy Google and Google goes up and you just hold it, it's nothing. But if you sell it, yeah. short-term, long-term gains, depending on what type. Yeah. Okay. But even like, but even anything in the crypto world triggers a sale. Like people think that, oh, like I put in $10,000, it went to 100 then I bought a Tesla. I didn't sell it. I bought a Tesla. It's like, no, you sold it. Yeah. Like... Or I converted it to this coin. No, you sold it. You just when you converted it, you just triggered a, a taxable event. Like people think because there's so many these conversions happening, and they that think they didn't they, actually sell. But so if you think like if you if you had a, you bought it with Ethereum as opposed to buying it with cash or something, you're like, no, it's yeah, it's the same thing, right? And yeah, it's like it's the same. It'd be like you went from Google to cash to Amazon. You'd be like, I didn't sell. I went into Amazon. I'd be like, no, you sold. Like yeah. And in crypto, people, either they didn't know or they didn't care, but the IRS is coming after it pretty Because everything is, we dollarize everything anyway. Yeah. At least my brain does. Yeah. I remember, do you know um, Anthony Pompliano? Uh, like, he has a podcast, like, he talks, he's like a Bitcoin, like, Maximus, like, but they do all the, the different stuff. And he was just, I remember him talking, this is a long time ago. He's like, he does everything in Bitcoin, like, in his head. Like, that's how his head thinks about it, which is really strange to me. Because it's like, always converting, converting, converting. And it would be tough because, and again, the dollar obviously does move up and down in value, but it's harder to to see that. Like when you're watching, like if it's Coinbase or whatever you're using, yeah. you can see Bitcoin go from 60 grand to 17. You're like, okay, fuck, it did go down <laughs> a lot. 
but I, we dollarize everything. So I guess those guys sometimes don't think in the same yeah. terms. It's a weird, the whole crypto space to me is, I don't want to get lost in the crypto shit, but it's, it's a weird thing. Like I don't, and this is my two cents, you chime in. Like, I don't know if the big ones go to zero, but I think most of them go to zero. I think it's going to run the route of like the dot-com era. Like the real ones are going to survive. And I'm not even predicting what the real ones are, but yeah. like anything, I think most of it's garbage and it's going to go to zero. And there's going to be a handful that were always legit and they're real and they'll become the Googles and the Amazons and everything else is, will just be. If a, you're a, old enough, ask Jeeves. Do you remember Ask Jeeves as a kid? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Ask Jeeves was like the stupid butler. You would yeah, like yeah, yeah. ask a question. He was like Google, but shitty Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even like Yahoo. Yeah. Like Yahoo or MySpace or you can go on a list. Yeah. They just never but made see, it. But even those, those were like real companies that just didn't make it. But like in the dot-com thing, it was like anyone with a dot-com, they were just valuing at millions of dollars. And it's like, but this isn't even a real business. Like you... Your startup that has nothing going on, but dude, this is the only time I've ever seen where people are their comp their startups are not even profitable and yeah. they're going public. That and was then, that was what the dot com was. Yeah, people were just doing that and just, shit. It just got and that's why like it was just a huge evaporation of wealth at that point. Fuck. And I could see that happening again in crypto. Like just there's there's some real ones out there, and I'm not saying what they are because I don't necessarily even know. Yeah. Um, but. I think the vast majority will just be like, like, this is useless. Yeah, it's it. There's way too much. It's like everything. When I look at like all the whether it's the market or taxes or the crypto stuff, there's way too much to even understand to know. Like, yeah, it's just too it's too vast. Like I can barely know fitness. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Like all this shit. I'm like, how am I supposed to understand? Like I have my own thesis. To like with if it's Bitcoin or Ethereum or something. Like, do I think Bitcoin goes to zero dollars? I don't think I, because I think there's enough people who like believe in this weird thing. So like, okay, cool. But when I look at stuff like that to my financial advisor, he's like, dude, if you want to blow 50 grand on Bitcoin or buy a car or like light it on fire in your driveway, he's like, I don't give a shit. He's <laughs> like, he goes, you're going to end up in the same place no matter what, you know? So that's how I look at those things. Like it's, I don't gamble. Yeah. And so to me, that's like a version of like, instead of going on like DraftKings, yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I'll put 20 bucks here and like, I'll see what happens and it doesn't matter. And if I dollar cost average a couple bucks and that's me not, you know, going to the casino or doing something stupid, sure. If it yeah. ends up being nothing, I don't give a shit. Is it, is it money that's going to change my life? No. Right. Am I banking on it to make me like super rich? Uh, no. And I think, <laughs> and I think that's what, for people listening, like that's what people are doing. Yeah. Oh, if I get... And I'm not, I don't, I don't, I'm not your advisor. Like, I don't care what you do. Oh, I'm going to get these Airbnbs and I'm going to crush. You might dude, but you might make 600 bucks a month and it might be a huge fucking headache for you. And there's a lot of liability that goes into that. And now you're a landlord and there's maintenance and there's whatever, or you might just, you know, be in Scottsdale and it's a, your bachelor at Airbnb and you're doing, you know, 20 K a month or who knows. Yeah. But maybe it's not that. Yeah. And I think sometimes like you have to really be cautious with like, okay, it's, they're all risks. Yeah. This might work out. It might not work out. And I think for the people with the crypto stuff, they've got into it like, well, to the moon. I'm like, well, if it was that easy, dude, like everybody would do it. Yeah. That's, that's the important word in their risk is like everything has a risk. There's no risk-free investment. None. Like even this year is showing it. Like even putting money in a bank account, there's risks. Like three, four years ago, people like knew like, Hey, you know, there's this thing called inflation. Like it's a silent killer of your bank account. Like don't hoard cash. And now all of a sudden, like everyone knows the word inflation because it's just everywhere. 
but like there's no like it doesn't matter what you invest in in my opinion if you understand that risk because most people just get like fascinated with the upside and have no concern for like you said if that 50k turns to zero does that ruin your life for a lot of people it's like yeah it would so it's like well then don't do it yeah there's levels like that 50k turn into a million yeah that'd be cool that'd be really cool but could you live with the downside and if the answer is no, that's not a, that's not the investment for you, and most people don't think like that. Well, and your advisor should talk you through that. Like, when, what yeah. if, if I go in, like whatever the extremes are, like they have the models yeah. that you look at. Are you okay with losing thirty nine percent? I'm like, <laughs> that seems like a lot. Yeah. Like I'd rather not. So like, let me put me here. If I have, you know, if I'm twenty two years old and I have three thousand dollars, sure. Yeah. Who gives a shit? But as you again, and for some people who are old, they don't give a shit. Yeah. Like they'll let it roll. I'm probably more conservative. I'm like, well, I don't need to be like that greedy. So like, I'd rather not lose that much. And there's certain, I'll, I'll take enough losses. And again, my thesis too, for retirement stuff, which I'll ask about in a second is, well, I'm not going to pull that money out for 20 years. So I really don't give a shit if the Dow or the S and P is down today because I didn't sell anything and I don't need to. And if I need to, then we can talk about it. I go, but it's a 20 year run. So I look at the macro, not the micro. I think that's the right way to do it, especially for business owners, because like you got a ton of complexity and stress in your life. Like you're running a business, you maybe have a team of people that are relying on you for payroll. Like that's stressful and that's complicated. I wouldn't make trying to time the market and that an additional thing in, on your plate, because exactly you said, if you invested on a down day of 2022 or an up day of 2022, like some people might be chiming. If you look at that in 2045, when you're like starting retirement, who the hell cared what day you, you put the money in 23 years ago or whatever it was. So I don't think people think in those terms when like they get obsessed with like, oh, I should, the market's down 1%. I missed buying today. It's like, dude, get back to your business. Like make, make contributions each month and get back to growing your business because that's the biggest wealth creator. Like the wealthiest people on the planet. They didn't like, outside of like Warren Buffett, they built businesses, but he did it through a business, but it was the stock market. But Yeah, and you're not, good enough to time it no right all the time you know, there's like a stat right like if you miss the best like couple days of being yeah. in the market per year like your portfolio will go down like x amount and if you were in the market it would go up and very few people are good enough to play that game and actually win yeah especially like with re- the retirement stuff just for like i always share these numbers when you finance guys are on here but i think there's like fidelity's numbers like the 401k stuff like the average person in their 20s has like 16K. And you go down the list where the person in their 40s is like 63K and the average person in their 60s has 170 grand. Damn. Like that's it. Like you doing what you do and hearing that, like how depressing is that? I mean. Like imagine you're 60 years old, you're 63, that's... you got 170,000 bucks. Like how long is it going to last you? Most people, like two years. Yeah. I mean, if you're like super cheap, maybe five. And especially because the account you're referring to, it's paid no tax yet. So whatever you just said, take like 20% off of that number. If they're not making a lot of money, yeah, take like 20% off. If they're making a lot of money, cut it in half. So it's like, it's not, it's. it's Unless you have like a Roth 401k. I guess that'd be your money then. If, you, if someone's got a Roth 401k, they probably are Pro- not in that stat because they're probably, probably right. talking to someone who's like, you're probably do right. it smart. <laughs> That's crazy. For people listening, just so they know, like the normal 401k, they're going to tax you. And the Roth Later, 401k, yeah. you've already 
paid the tax Correct. beforehand. So that would grow. And that's like my, cause now you can, cause like now, yeah, my wife's company does that. And now like the limit's like, was it 19.5? I think 25 and 25. Is that what it is? Yeah. On the employee side. It's cool. It's going up. It's going to go up big time next year. I think it's a 22.5 because obviously it's inflation and these are all based on inflation. I believe it goes from 20,561,000, which is this year. I think it's going to 22.5 and 66,000 next year. That's crazy. So. Well, it's weird because that's a good pie to this. Yeah, and you can, but it's like they begin your money's shit then. Yeah, like that's uh, you know, I hate to say this, but you know, and, and it's it goes twofold because one, like when houses here are going up like ridiculous, which that's and I'll ask about that too if you have an opinion because that's now coming back around, where like a year ago you could sell a house on my street in like a day for a million bucks, and. Sure. 30 people would see it. No one wants to review it. No one gives a shit. It ain't worth that, dude. But that's what they were going for. Sure. My neighbors across the street now had to move. He got a job in Colorado, like fish and wildlife. Super cool people. They had a bounce. Their house is still for sale. They've been gone for a month and a half. They've dropped it $150,000. No one's fucking buying that. Yep. A, it was never worth that in the first place. Two, now the interest rates are murdering people. Yeah. But it was weird because a year and a half ago, two years ago, pandemic stuff, cash is trash oh you don't want cash it's terrible yeah i get it i go however now i think in the next if i'm to guess and i'm an idiot fitness guy what do i know in the next year or so there's going to be some discounts on some things it just it has to be that's what i think yeah because how like if you talk about it, like from and i'm because typically it's weird because like 0708 i lived through the whole thing that's so how I bought our stuff, and we were looking at, I mean, that was a murder. I mean, a murder show, dude. I would go look at condos where people had ripped out all the cabinets, everything, just a complete sure. shit show. Uh, foreclosures, short sales like you've never seen before. Similar, but obviously way different. But Vegas was similar to, like, Phoenix Scottsdale. Yeah, cut in half. Because Vegas got murdered. Yeah. And so do we. So when I look at, like, I guess what I'm asking, like, the trajectory that it was going on, how did people not see this was not a sustainable thing? Like your house can't go up like 5X from what you paid for it 10 years ago. That's not fucking real. Yeah. It can't be. And here we are. It's the bubbles. Like it happens. And it's like that's why I, I, I really like Warren Buffett because he says it perfectly. I, well, now I'm going to butcher it now. I said he says it perfectly. Oh, um, I know. Like, I know uh, the quote. Yeah. The, uh, when, buy uh, when, people are, when people are greedy. Be fearful. Be fearful. And people are fearful be greedy. be greedy and that's i think it's perfect because there's certain people in my life when they start asking me about an asset class i know that's like the alarm like okay now and now the dumb money is coming and that's when the smart money is going to leave and that's when i should be out too yeah. because when you're the last investor like with some of these things like when like what was that like uh there's reddit stocks or, or whatever those meme stocks oh like, yeah a like, GameStop and shit yeah, yeah. And it's like people that never invested in their life are like what's this should i get into this like dude it's, like you're the patsy like, it's video games bro at a but, store yeah like, there's shit <laughs> it's a shit it's a, it's in, it's fake they pumped it right it's like a pump and dump and that's why i don't understand like no one goes to jail like like we were talking about earlier, like the regulators, like you see this stuff happening. It was clearly manipulating. Like, did anything happen? No, because you know the the person, whoever was like doing all that, you know they were the first ones out when that thing hit whatever. Oh and, yeah. And so it's like, how come no one gets in trouble for this shit? Like, it's weird to me. Well, and again, it's like 
I'll go back to like, it's just, it's a lot to know and to understand. And if you don't have like someone, I'm not saying like, I'm not like a pro, you know, you need all these people to, I go, but you do need a coach dude for a yeah. lot of things. Like I have a doctor I go to for certain things. Like I have a mechanic I go yeah. to, I have a plumber, I have an air conditioning guy, like, because I can't learn it all. And this is your money, dude. Like yeah. when I, and I, and I'll go back to just the house thing. Cause I'm like, as I think about it, you know, and I'm not telling people to do real estate historically is a great investment to help people typically build generational wealth. However, the price is so high and now the rates are so high. And if do you have a prediction of like how that plays out? I I'm with you. I think it can't sustain because you talk to people that are trying to buy that are at like normal at like income levels, like the average for their area, like they're getting you, priced out. Like if you think, okay, here's an example. Imagine, and I might butcher the the prices here, but I'm going to be pretty fucking close. If you were just like a normal fan, like a normal family in Scottsdale, let's say, and you make two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year, most yeah. most people it's pretty it's pretty decent income. You're not balling here by any means, yeah, but yeah. like you can survive. Sure, uh, it's a quarter million dollars. Like where I come from, you're fucking. You're the president. You're the mayor of the town. Uh, but in that same sentence, if you were to now try to live on my street, you are, and you come with a two hundred thousand dollar down payment, your house payment is probably five thousand dollars a month. Mm -hmm. I don't think that seems sustainable. Like to pay five k a month to live in like a basic home, and you're only making two fifty. By the time you pay taxes and all your shit. How much are you really saving and what percentage of that, depending on how much you're saving for retirement, which I 15, 20%, depending on what you put in. Yeah. That just seems like it's impossible for that family to make that happen. Yeah. And so they're going to move out to the sticks and commute for three hours everywhere. Like that's not a sustainable thing. I just don't. And again, I don't know how it plays out because if the rates, they need to keep going up because the prices have to keep coming down. But, like, where's the tipping point for that until the Fed's like, ah, oh, fuck it, dude. We tried, but I, or is it too late? Is it already out of control? See, I have these conversations all the time, and I wish I had a better answer because I agree with you. It seems like we're on a path where, like, a bunch of dominoes are going to start falling. You're on the Titanic. It's, it's scary because, like, yeah, inflation's crazy. Salary inflation hasn't kept up with it. Like, if you had a gas inflation... Like really, like what is it really? The gas inflation? Well, no, like oh, gas you get like people are like, oh, yeah, oh yeah. inflation seven percent. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. Like they, yeah. they, like they, they say that on the news, like you're, like they're serious. Yeah. I go fuck, you're nuts. Yeah. Double that. Easily. Yeah. So if real inflation is like fifteen percent, and your wage went up last year, three percent. Because when they do inflation, if I'm not mistaken, I don't believe they equate housing and like food in that. There's like some shit they keep out. Like they, how uh, it's like it's like they, what do they pull out? Because it's not I housing. I think they even like pull like healthcare out or something like that. It, is it's not housing. It's like they do like a rent rate equivalency, which is horseshit. Yeah. Because if you're telling me, okay, Jeremy, what do you mean? I go, well, did your house go up? Yeah. You know, seven percent last year? No, it was yeah. way more than that. Yeah. Astronomical. So that's what I mean. Like, okay, so inflation is really 15%, your wages are not moving. Right. Some people barely at all. Like, And unemployment's going up. So there's going to be some people, their wages go to zero. And that's all in this like mixing pot of what's happening in this economy. And There's going to be massive layoffs, dude. That's, that's where I get worried when you start listening to people who are way smarter than me sort of break it down with like, 
where unemployment could potentially go, where like based on what's already happening, what that could mean for already like injured supply chain when if the cost of like diesel and things like that continues to rise, like what does that all play out? And some of the people that like have that I think are very smart have very doomsday predictions and it's scary because you hear the outcome they think and you're like, ah, it's bullshit. Then they walk through like the logic and you're like, huh? Yeah. I could see all of that. Like what's the worst case scenario? Worst case. I mean, I could see the rates of the, the real estate rates cutting in half in a lot of major cities and based the um, rates, the prices, the prices, sorry. Like what does the rate, do the rates get to? Because the Fed are, is going to just, they're well, going to quit. Or maybe they won't. Maybe the well, rates will be 10%. Well, see, I think this topic came up at this tax conference today. And a, a guy was talking about it. He's 70. And he's like, he used to be in the mortgage space. Um, and he's like, I want everyone to just understand something. Where rates used to be. Because I stood at a national conference. I think this was 30, 40 years ago. And he goes, and I said to everyone, hey, everyone, rates just hit 9.9%. And I got a standing ovation because they were at like 15 or 16 over the last two years. I remember that. I remember. So he's like, it's all relative. Like everyone's freaking out about these rates. But he's like, historically, they're still very low. And so could it go higher? In his opinion, yeah, because we've been there. And that, that was just reality for people in the 80s. And so. But the major problem is like. Your grandma's house was $33,000. Correct. Now your grandma's house is $880,000. Right. So what the fuck? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like my yeah. mom like my mom would sometimes like ask me questions and say things. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> I love my mom. She's great. But I'm like, Janet, let me break this down for you. When you bought your first house, it was $18,000. How much money you were making at your job? Oh, like twelve grand. I go, okay. Right. That's like me making a million dollars a year and buying a house for like a million one. Yeah. It's not even, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. I go, now what people are doing is they make 150 and they're buying a house for 500. Yeah. That's, and at, oh, by the way, 7%. (laughs) That's trippy. So no, I do agree with you there. Um, I'll ask this too, just because do you think the rates ever go back to that two, 3% bullshit? I think so. Only because. In your lifetime? Um, Because dude, that's how we got here. Yeah. I think so because, like, they just love to play that game, like, the Fed, this to keep their job. Like, it's not – like, you know, like, listening to them be like, we don't know how inflation happened. It's like, it's your job to know how inflation happened. And idiots know that if you just print money and send it to everyone and overseas on planes that disappear and shit. Like, yeah. Like, that's how inflation – like, everyone knows that. To sit here as the top Fed people and pretend you're clueless or – it's like – And they waited too long. Like to start raising this shit. Yeah. They waited way too long. Way too long. It's, and that's, depending on who you listen to, it gets a little bit worrisome when you start thinking about the people making the decisions and whether or not they're actually taking America's interest in as the top priority. Well, it's like, it's like self-preservation, right? Like, I got to keep my job. I got to do my things. I'm going to kick the can down the road, essentially. I was going to say the opposite because it's like, are they intentionally hurting our dollar? Oh. You know, like depending on, you know, the conspiracy theories of like what's going on with the World Economic Forum. Forum and, and shit, yeah. So it's like, are they trying to hurt our dollar? 
because but it's like you need it's like to me like i hate that scenario but like you're probably right um <laughs> but just because i'm like this is the game like you need people to be like making money and doing things and creating things if yeah. you want stuff and that's where <clears throat> that's like the only thing that gives me hope otherwise because i'm like well, how you get it's going to eat at fucking restaurants? And you got to have cheap money because yeah. that expands the economy. Yeah, and you have to have people working to make stuff if you want things. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, why can't I get a car? I'm like, well, because you didn't make a car for two years. I'm like, <laughs> no, it's like stupid, fucking stupidity. I go in it the it's the same way I think about the real estate stuff because I feel like when I give it, if I'm talking to the the kids who come and actually work for me, I don't want to give them this doomsday scenario, <laughs> but I think about myself. If I was just 10 years younger, yeah, how fucked I would have got. And that's how I, I feel that way. And you might feel that way now. Like maybe you, you know, for us, like we don't have debt and whatever, but to buy something else is it's going to take this Herculean effort. And I'm like, I'm not willing to go into debt to do it. So I'd rather yeah. cash flow. So if everything melts down, I'm, I'm here for it all day, bro. <laughs> like it'd be great. But if you're a younger person, how do they get in the game? That's my only hope would be like, well, hopefully they figure this out where the prices do come down. So these kids can get in the game because if they don't, yeah. you think about every real estate transaction, right? Your realtor, you're the guy who is um, the appraiser. Yeah. Uh, you're the mortgage guy. You're the home inspector. There's a lot of jobs that depend on this. And if you're someone who's in mortgages right now, you're getting murdered. Yeah. Cause who's doing refis? You know what I'm saying? Nobody. Like nobody. So my hope is like there's some synergy where the prices do come down, but and they need to. But even if they do, if the rate's high, can that first time home buyer get in the game? Because I feel like you just fuck those kids. I say kids. It might be an older person yeah. too. Into buying into real estate. So now they're a renter and rents are not going down. No. That's a tough spot. That And that's one of the reasons. Um, I need to finish the book, but did you, have you read um, Ray Dalio's? book button changing world order uh -oh. um, i need to finish it i'm probably only about a third through it but it's it's interesting because he goes through the the things that like when he says new world order he doesn't mean it in a conspiracy theory sense but like the top country in the world for the period of time that they are and it's it's always changing like if you, he goes back like 600 years and just plots the data he's a, for people who don't know ray dalio is like a like the best hedge fund manager of all time. Or he's something. like Tony Robbins' boy. Like he was on, like when he wrote that Money Mastery book, Ray Dalio was like the one who advised him all this stuff. He's yeah, smart, he's smart he's, guy. He's the biggest, I think he's retired now, but his, I think his company's like Bridgewater Capital. They manage like $170 billion. Like I think he's the biggest hedge fund on the He's planet. like a Buffett, basically. Yeah. Super smart finance guy. Yeah. He's been doing it for 40 plus years. Um, And so he, but he's very data driven and he went back like 600 years plotting like, the demise of all these previous world orders. And unfortunately, it, it seems like they all sort of do the same thing. And he's he does make reference, the book's only like a couple years old, so he references a lot of things happening in the United States. And we are, according to his data, we're on the downside of like the arc. Um, like the peak is well behind us. Yeah. And he says the problem is, historically, not just the United States, but you can see it playing out with us, that... We get in, you get yourself into a financial crisis with all the debt and and like these politicians historically always have two choices: send us into a recession to eat up all the like the the houses that aren't worth this and things like that, or print more money. And he's like, it's always super unpopular to do what really needs to be done from a financial standpoint to rein rein in the wealth that was created, get rid of the bad debt, blah 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 blah. He's like, so 
people choose the, the path of least resistance, print more money, get more, then things are good for a while, then people start taking all that money, buying more debt, more assets, inflating things more, and just a slippery slope. And he's like, and then it gets to the point where their dollar become or their currency becomes so devalued that everyone else around the world that was looking up to them is like, dude, your, your, your currency is worth shit now. Yep. And they move on. And then obviously there's other ways that like wars break out and stuff like that. But um, that's typically how like the dominoes start to fall. Is like everyone just looks around they're like, U.S. dollar ain't shit anymore. Like we're going to go use China's currency or whatever it is, I think. DN or something. Like yeah. That. I, so that's... the U.S. dollar is still a reserve currency of the world. For now. Yeah. And that's what, when you listen to people who like think the big picture like his book is that's the, what they worry like countries around the world will start to look around and be like nothing personal but we're going off the u.s dollar and that would be devastating for us yeah as, as a world power because you're already if i understand like and this podcast got real depressing real quick <laughs> um I'll, I'll end it with some positive shit but uh before i do that let me get real negative like you just i don't know i, I my hope is that They'll do, you'll keep raising the rate because again, I'll say this first, the debt is so much that we have that you can't even like, you won't be able to service the debt soon yeah. with the money that you're taking in. Like that's yeah. how high the interest is. And it's going to keep running and running and running and running. That's, that's what he says in his book. The debt just gets wiped and that's very painful because everybody's debt is someone else's asset. Yeah. So when like same thing with the student loans, like someone owns that debt. It doesn't just go away. It doesn't go away. Someone takes a bath when someone else's debt goes away. And that's what I mean by these guys doing things just for like for votes or to pander to people yeah. in the moment, but you're literally kicking the can down the road and you're screwing all these other people yeah. who weren't in the game yet. Yeah. Like that's the part where, and so my, my hope would be, and again, how I understand the, the basic finance to get inflation, to not be running rampant, you need to get the interest rate to like be equal to that or greater. So if you really think the inflation's like ten percent or fifteen percent, I'm like, you need the interest rates to be high. Yeah, because basically that's how they do. It. That's why they raise it to try to eat it up. And you're basically trying to crush demand, so Correct. people don't buy shit. Right. But they yeah. are actually buying back, basically the debt. Like they're taking it back. Yeah, like you need to basically destroy all that wealth and value that was artificially created through the inflation. And it's that's why, like historically, it's very uncomfortable for the leaders to be like, hey, this we're going to send us into these recessions and it's going to suck, but we're going to come out. Like, we need the bloodletting. And so, like, the smart financial minds might be like, yeah, that's what we need. Like, but the smart financial minds aren't necessarily the ones that are trying to get reelected. So it's like... That's what I mean. Like, how long do you think they go raising until they just kind of, for lack of a better term, like, just turn bitch and like, ah, oh, you know, we'll just, we'll just cut it now. Because you didn't fix anything then. Yeah, I think they'll they'll probably let it run to the course where it's like, at some point it won't be their fault. It'll be like, oh, well, we tried to do this and that, but now we're in a full-blown recession or a depression. It's like, well, it's like, well, thanks. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, you don't get the blame per se because you did all the marketing to massage it, but you pushed us. You didn't hit the brakes soon enough, so here we are. So, like, do you think they'll keep raising them all next year? I hope so. I think we need it to. Like, yeah. They're not doing us any favors. Like, I have friends that this is all they do, and they're like, just give us the, a humongous rate increase already and just let that punch us in the face and get over with yeah. it. Like, this tiny 
death by a million paper cuts is not really solving the problem. No, and that's what I I guess that's what I'm asking. It's like if you think about it, okay, hey, it's a seventy five basis points, half basis point, whatever, yeah. as they raise it. And typically for people when they raise the rate it reflects your car loan rate and your home rate and everything else. Yeah. Why not just do one point, two points? Who gives a shit? What is it? Because like my guess, what I'm asking is, what does it matter if your interest rate is nine percent or seven percent when the prices are so high? Like you're screwed either way, dude. Who gives a shit? I like, I hope they do. Just fix it faster than because the longer it goes on, the worse this is. Yeah. Like to me, like and everything just runs rampant. And I have conversations here with people. This is Scottsdale. People here, typically our clients have a shit ton of money, and we'll have these talks. And it's like, hey man. Like we are making more money than we've ever made in our life. And we have more money than we've ever made. And we feel like we don't like, that's really a thing. Oh yeah. Like I'm like my wife and I, you know, we're the dual income, no kids. Like we have no debt. Like, yeah, it's fucking great. But if you would, if you'd come to, and I'm super thankful and I'm blessed and I have way more than I ever need. I go, but if you came to me and told me, Hey Jeremy, this is how much money you'll be making. And this is how much you have. And I was 27. I would have been like, bro, I'm fucking going to retire. I'm going to travel the world, do all this cool shit. And now I'm here and I'm like, well, this ain't enough, dude. Yeah. Because And not because I'm a greedy asshole. I go, but just because what it is is not the same thing. Like you used to be able, if you could buy a house in Scottsdale for like, you know, three, 400,000 bucks, that's not a thing anymore. Yeah. Like you're buying a fucking teardown for like 600,000, $700,000, which is insane to me. Yeah. And I'm like, how is that, how do we get from here to there so quickly? And that's what's really kind of, it makes me real depressed well, when I think about it. You you just hit on it perfectly because we don't have to be in a recession for things to get as bad as they could. Nah, that's not the right way. This, but, first of all, the recession has been going on. Like, let's just be real, everybody. Like, I know they said, like, what they say last quarter, it went up like 1% or something. Yeah, it, but when you bullshit your, it's like saying you made progress and didn't make progress. Well, if I'm grading the paper, dude, I can yeah. just bull, manipulate it. So not to get no, off topic. That's, but that's perfectly my point. It's like, it does, whether we're in a recession or not. It's relevant. Everyone that I know that makes good money, they're mentally in a recession and they're holding back. They're pulling, like you said, your friends, they're like, I don't feel rich. They're, yeah. they're pulling back on things. I know a lot of people like, me and my friend had this conversation the other day. He's like, I'm not spending money. And he's like, he makes good money. And he's like, I'm not spending money right now. Yeah. And that's I, that's all over the place. The people that have the money, it's perception is reality to them. They're like, whether we're in a recession or not, Doesn't I don't matter. like I don't like what I see in this economy. I'm holding my cash. And so that's that's what in a good economy, that wouldn't be happening. No. You know, people would be spending and that's what we need. But Oh, dude, look at the pandemic. Yeah. As soon as I'm people traveling and shit, as soon as it's like, yeah. my, my wife is like, dude, our leisure travel is bonkers everywhere. Hotel rooms are, you know, 2X what they used to be. Everybody's everywhere. Every, dude, in the summertime here, like once like the world was like open or whatever you want to call it, <laughs> like every restaurant was full. In August, it's 117 degrees here. Who the fuck wants to be here? I go, but people just like everywhere. And all of a sudden, yeah. like you're... I don't know when, when this era happened when like your normal drink at a bar went from like $10 to $18 and we were just like fucking cool with it. I'm like, this is, this is like, even my, like my friend, I like, he does medical device sales. I do this. Like, you know, we make money. We'll go out to dinner, like with our wives and stuff. And he grew up with me, same hometown, everything. And 
he'll look at me and he's like, this is stupid, like what we're doing. And he's just like, this is too much money for, for what it is. And now we, even for us, like, not that we won't ever go to dinner, but we'll just go like, hey, I'll come over to your house. I'll come over to our house. We'll go make dinner. We'll do whatever. Not that we're against paying for it, but it's just like, should it cost you this much money yeah. to go out to a basic dinner to have like a beer and like a fucking pizza or something? The exchange of value isn't there anymore. No. And I'm like, I'm feeling that. I can't imagine like the normal guy who's, you know, got two kids commuting an hour to work, making 70,000 bucks a year. And he's got a mortgage payment, car payments, student loans, all this shit. It just seems like that. I, I guess what I'm saying is all these, all these policies, the printing money and the, these low rates, you just really, the people who are on fixed incomes and the people who are not making money, like you fucked them pretty good. Yeah. Cause like if you're old and retired, your retirement's what you got. Yeah. You're not making any more. So you thought your three grand a month was going to crush it. Now you're like, well, shit. Yeah. Now we don't have as much money and you don't have the ability to go make more. Yeah. Like that's kind of the, the trippy thing. Yeah. The, the lower middle class and the lower class inflation is the biggest tax that they get hit with. And people don't, don't seem to talk about that, especially on the news. Cause like that, it hurts them way more than the people at the top. Like inflation for most people that you probably interact with is, and it's, my, it's annoying. Yeah. It's like, Oh God, like can't believe what I paid it. To, but like, you're just talking about it. It doesn't ruin your life. You're not making decisions. Like I'm not, I'm not going to go to the grocery store twice this week because I had to fill up, but that's a legitimate conversation and problem for certain income levels. And so that's the biggest issue I have with it. It's like, they're trying to push under the rug. It's like, no, you're, you're really hurting people. And I don't think we've seen that impact in the economy note yet. And I think all that is just rolling. Like We're, to next year. Yeah. Like I think that'll be one of the other dominoes that will fall as well. Like we'll just see it start. Like it doesn't seem like you're seeing people like default on rent and stuff like that. Like where it seems like it should have happened by now, but we're not hearing about it. No, because you saw, well, the credit card debt is at an all-time high. Yeah. The savings are like at an all-time low, I believe, is what I read. Yeah, I think it flipped from like what it was in the... Because pandemic was like the highest. Yeah. And then now it went to the lowest. Yeah. But Black Friday, you also had the biggest Black Friday of all time. Did we? Yeah. Which seems like that should not have happened. So here's what that ends up being for the rest of the year. Or if like everyone did their entire shopping that day to like take advantage of it. Yeah. Wonder what it'll be for the rest of the season. It's got to be, I would imagine, substantially less, right? Just That's my guess. Because you, you're looking at the companies where, especially these ones where they were fucking around like Zillow, um, Carvana. Like these guys are going to be cutting people if they're not drastically already. Because really? they're not moving they're not moving units, dude. There's no way. Like they were buying cars sight unseen, didn't give a shit. <laughs> And I'm like, now you're getting people to not do it. And yeah. even like in the tech, my wife's telling me, one of these people who makes like some of the microchips here, like they're laying off people. Bro, if there's one thing you needed was like microchips, was it not like crazy? But you're starting to see it. And I think, and I yeah. hate to say this, like there would be like a massive layoffs because when you look at these companies, for them to be profitable, they need to report to these shareholders every 90 days. And well, if we're not selling more shit, what's the only way we can make more money? <laughs> got to get rid of people yeah so we can remain profitable and pay dividends and give these guys what they need yeah. which is really kind of jacked because it's not those people's faults because they didn't shit the bed it's just that's where you're at and i guess the reason i share that is because those people have cars and yeah. they have mortgages and they have jobs and when they don't have them in the now because the price to pay to play is so high like that's where you kind of run into a problem oh yeah it, it's the unemployment number that i 
I think is going to drive how bad things get. Because exactly like you said, everything is, is starting to push the pain point for a lot of people, and that's with them having a job. If we start seeing unemployment really skyrocket, I think those doomsday numbers get more realistic. So, like, if you're a person, and obviously, like, you, you can, it's like, you're not, this is not advice. Um, like, your two cents. If you were somebody, you just have cash, sit on the sidelines right now, you're looking 2024. Like, do you think, like, home prices go down and people could take advantage of that or the market or what would you do? Like, if it's if you, you, I'm sure you have yeah, money. Yeah. And you're, when I, what I do, like, for my stock investments, I just do it each month. So I do encourage people to do that. Like just dollar just, cost average. Just dollar cost average in. Same I don't. Here. I don't know what it's going to be in twenty years, and I don't do active trading. So like I'm not trying to time the market. Just not like, on Robinhood. Just doing. No. Nah, I had a guy on the podcast. <laughs> he's a friend of ours. A good guy. He has no money in the market. It's all. Um, he has a fund. It's all commercial real estate, hard money shit. Yeah. Um, he had Robinhood for like I think a year, maybe not even like six months. He did like five thousand trades. Because it was just like, he was just like gambling. He goes, it was just like, because, you know, he put in like, fun. yeah, and he'd fuck around. And yeah, we don't do that either. Our stuff comes out, I think on the 15th, I do both. And then at the end of the year, if I can do anything different, like with whatever the setup is, I'll do that. But yeah, I don't even think about it. It's just to set it and forget it. That's, that's honestly, I think that's what most people should do with most of their investments. Because I've had clients that one, they think they're, there's like a secret formula because their house is one of their best assets and it's like no it's because you had no choice but to pay that 30 years so you would have gotten kicked out yeah or, or i've had clients think that their 401k was an investment like not a vehicle but an investment strategy and like this my 401k was my best one it's like that 401k you're referring to you forgot to like log in and it was just doing its thing for decades yeah. and you didn't like tinker with it like there's a, a term that somebody in my industry uses called like the uh, what's it called the behavior gap i think and it's basically what an index returns versus what you get. And typically that gap is like you fucking around with it. Because <laughs> it's like the index returns seven. You got five. It was because you were just in there doing your trades. Stupid and shit. Getting scared and then buying back in when the market was inflated and you're not scared anymore. And it's like, well, that's the worst time to buy. Do you so, have a percentage you um, suggest clients to put into their retirement? Or no? It depends on the person. I, I, try, I try to get to... Well, it depends on their income, but I try to get people to max out their retirement accounts because the pushback I get on retirement accounts is that you're locked up. If you're not 59 and a half years old, you can't t touch the money without a 10% penalty, which is true. There's like ways around some of that shit though, right? There's there's a couple exceptions depending on what you're trying to do. Like if you're older or if you're like 55, you could like sign some kind of agreement where you can pull out. Well, if it's Roth shit, you can take out what you put in the but contributions. Not, yeah. Yeah. And then you just get taxed on it like it's income. Right. Is that correct? Okay. But if you want, well, yeah, if you take out the gains, then you get, then you're screwed taxes and penalties. But in a Roth, you can put your, you can put your contributions out, but or, don't, don't do that. If you're listening. Yeah. Like again, this all, this advice or this opinion I'm sharing, we're just two dudes talking shit is, is what I don't think you should touch your investment money. Like you, there's ways to access it and there's penalties and stuff. That's like, that's but like I the don't last, you're like going to be homeless. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, to do that. if you can avoid it, like, because there's things you can do, like you can take loans against it and things like that. Well, in your 401k, if you pay it back in a certain time and yeah. shit. Because I know people have done that again, like to buy a house or something. Like, where yeah, I would not want to do that if it was me personally. See, well, that's the thing about retirement accounts, like that gives them a bad name, is because, and again, I'm not 
purposely just shitting on all the big companies, but you can buy almost any investment inside of your retirement account. And people don't realize that because the majority of the big firms don't let you do it there. So they'll say, you go to your advisor and say, Hey, can I buy, can I buy like a, a commercial property in my 401k? And they're like, no. But what they mean is, no, you can't do that here. Yes, you can do it legally, but no, you can't do it at this firm because all we do is stocks and bonds and stuff like that. Um, but so when people tell me like, oh, I don't like these 401ks or retirement accounts because I can't touch the money. It's like, well, what do you want to use the money for? If you want to go invest in a fitness business or you want to go buy a piece of commercial property, do it in there. You have all the investment choices you want. If you want to go on a cruise, on a vacation, well, yeah, you can't do that shit with it. But if you're trying to use that money, like that money that goes in, it's an investment account forever because you can't tap it until you're 60 if you don't want to get crushed. Yeah. So... um, that's my biggest thing is like you see all these people like they do real estate. Like you like real estate. You do commercial. You could buy that with your 401k, with your Roth IRA, and never pay taxes again. And so the percentage, I don't necessarily have people. That's why I try to get people to max it out because once the money's in, you can do whatever you want. Like um, Peter Thiel, you know him? Oh, yeah. Um, Dude, he's like the most famous of all time. Yeah. So it's you know all Ro- his, his is all Roth. Correct. He's got like there's – I think the IRS or the government calls it like mega IRAs or something like that. And this is like billions, right? Yeah. Well, he put he put this on the map for Congress yeah. because for people who aren't aware, Peter Thiel or Peter Thiel, I don't know how to say his I name. I always say Thiel, but yeah. Um, he was one of the inventors of PayPal, right? Yeah. And then he was the seed investor in Facebook with about half a million dollars, but he did it through his Roth IRA. I don't know what it's worth now, but it got famous because it was like, but that was obviously Facebook's crash a little bit, but... His IRA went from 500k to basically six billion. Yeah, he won't owe a penny of tax on that. And so Congress was like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. And so he's what they call like they have a name for it. It's called like mega IRAs or something like that. And there's not too many people in the world or in the country that have these mega IRAs. I think they define it as an IRA worth more than five million dollars. And I think there's only like. I want to say like thirty thousand or something. There's not as many as you think. I, I used to have this stat. Um, but then Congress was starting to come after it because like, they don't like these, the vast majority of people who have these mega IRAs, they do what's called self-directing, meaning they're not buying stocks and bonds and mutual funds. They're buying like a seed investment in Facebook or they're buying commercial properties. They're doing things on their own with their skill set. Like this guy knows how to spot a tech company. That's about to be something. Yeah. I remember when I saw that at first, I'm like, damn, dude, that's crazy (laughs) shit, dude. But he's like super rich anyway, so like it's all good. Like, I mean, yeah, because he was he obviously went, able to put five hundred thousand into a company that was a nobody. Yeah, like that could easily gone to zero pretty fast. And he him. was fine with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he made his mega millions selling PayPal. Yeah, and I'm, I think he even had a few other. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. Like exits. when when you're, but again, like when you're a person, like, that's why I say like the rich get richer because it's like, if someone was like, "Hey man, you won the Powerball. Do you want the?" I'm like, "Just give me the lump sum, dude." Cause I can take that lump sum and I can crush whatever yeah. the distribution would be. I'm like, I could buy two blocks here yeah, and like make that money back overnight. Like that's the crazy thing. Like where if you do have, again, at the end of the day for people, like your best bet is like your skill set and your income level, hundred percent, because it's going to allow you to do all these things with, and what you do with that money with, again, assets, liabilities where people are like, Oh, my house. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's an investment, I guess, but it's not. You just need somewhere to live. It's like, well, my house is worth two million bucks. I'm like, yeah, but if you sell it, what are you gonna do? And they're also usually like, I bought it for like five hundred. It's worth two million. It's like, well, what'd you put into it? 
You know, like there's there's costs in there that they're oh, they're dude. forgetting about. That. Even like bait, like my like when I think of my house, like I look at the backyard. Like when I bought it, it was just like desert shit. Right now it looks like a fucking resort. I'm like, <laughs> if I I don't even want to know yeah. like how much money it's cost me like grass <laughs> and shit over the years. I'm like, it just seems like a lot. I go, but, but you should because then that'll chip away at that five hundred thousand. True. In uh, gains. There's certain th- you would increase you, your cost basis. You can do certain things, right? There's a, like a list. Like if you do a roof or hot water heater, it's a whole list. Yeah, you but you would have to go through and itemize yeah. like increasing your cost basis on the improvements you put into the house. I did look at that too because I'm like, God, this is horseshit. It's so crazy. But the point is like your house, that's, it doesn't. And it's when like I, for savings more than I, I think most financial people wouldn't call it an asset. For because you. the only way it actually ever does pay you, because I guess it's a fixed cost because like if you're a mortgage or if you don't have one, yeah. like it's, you pay what you pay to live there. And the only way you'd make money is if you sell it and you live in something cheaper and then you have the excess money to invest or do whatever. Because when yeah. I think of, you know, hey, Jeremy, it's an investment. I'm like, well, th- those things pay me. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, for us, like, if it's BlackRock or whatever. Yeah. Like, we buy their shit because they make money. And yeah. And they pay us. And I'm like, I don't do anything for them. We gave them money. They gave us more back. Yeah. Pretty simple. My house doesn't do that. Every time I come home, something fucking breaks. I got to <laughs> fix it, dude. Like, it's not the same. Yeah. It's it's. I would call it for savings, not an asset, but yeah, it grows, it should go up in value and yeah, it's cool that you'll, you buy it for whatever. And then you can tap that cash if you move to somewhere cheap and small because your kids are growing up or something, but I don't call that an asset because you said it's not paying you back. It's not the same, your house and the next door neighbor's rental property are not the same. No, because he's actually extracting money from it. It's a bit, right. he's running, it's a, when I think of the rentals too, like it's a business. hundred percent. A rental property is like, so if I'm like, Hey, I don't want to do the gym anymore. This is going to be uh, a bike shop. Yeah. I'm now the landlord. So this guy's got to pay me 10 grand. I'll pay the taxes, whatever. He'll probably do cams, triple net. Who knows? Yeah. I'm like, but the profit's mine. Now if something breaks, I got to fix it. If it's not in the lease agreement, whatever, but that's a job. Yeah. Like that's when people are like, Oh, I'm just going to buy this passive income. I'm like, that's not a thing. Yeah. There's no such thing as passive income. That's horseshit. Yeah. Like, well, I have five rentals. I'm like, well, you got five sets of problems, dude. Yeah. Like, that's how I look at it. Like, that's a business. It is. Especially if you're doing Airbnb or whatever. Yeah. Like, you do you do that stuff or clients do that stuff? I have clients that do it. Yeah. Um, I think it's awesome. For but, sure. But, yeah, it's not It's not free money. No, it's customer service. Yeah. And then you're, you're a facility manager, essentially. Yeah. Or you have a management company or a marketing yeah. company or somebody who Which takes care of it. It's great, but... Your lower profits because you got to pay them, but I mean that's one of the reasons that the wealthiest people they got they do one thing and that's grow their business. That's so, it. And then everything else is how they diversify that wealth, but that's not necessarily their main gig. When that's that's my conflict in general with because with real estate because I think it's great, but I can throw my money into the stock market and just keep moving. So that's why currently that's my main strategy because like I can keep building my business. Just make my monthly deposits max out all my stuff and just keep rolling. And the like, when I think about it in terms of, because there's people who are anti stock market, obviously. Oh, for sure. And I'll talk about them in a split second. But if you, my thesis is, well, if you believe in America, which I still do, um, <laughs> I, I love America. But I'm like, when I was younger, I never thought like, I didn't know. You know, you know, sometimes ignorance is bliss because when you start to understand um, the amount of fuckery that goes on, you you lose faith in the system a little bit. And I'm a person yeah. who tends to be like in the middle on most things. Like I just kind of listen 
and I take advice from every angle and then I make the best decision. And now I'm like, but I do, if you believe America is going to be here in 50 years and we're still going to buy iPhones and we're still going to drive cars and like eat at restaurants and shit, like that's what the market is. Yeah. It's basically your belief in America and the company. And you can obviously invest in things outside of America too, but in a, you know, a gorilla example, that's how I think of it. So if I believe that American Airlines is still going to fly planes and we're going to be here, yeah, I'll buy into their shit. I I love the way you frame that because I totally agree with that that mindset. I didn't know how to articulate it because the, the last couple of years, as I have seen the way things, and like you said, it would be easier to have your head in the sand. You lose faith in the system a little bit. And you lose faith in like the future of like, well, because like I'll even have clients ask, like, well, what happens? Like, what's the strategy if like a civil war breaks out? I'm like, I don't know if I have a financial strategy for the fact that bullets and food are going to be the currency if like we are in some sort of doomsday scenario, like really doomsday when people like, depending on what, and so that is where, and then you start going down the road, like, well, why are they crushing us with inflation? You know, like if you don't think it's an accident and then you listen to the smartest people that come on the TV and they're like, oh, this took us by surprise. And you have every person at a financial firm, like that CEO has been like, surprise? Like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, this is 101 stuff. So feeling like a little bit of, dishonesty is happening um that's why like i've switched my personal investment philosophy like looking to start doing more like brick and mortar things like buying rental real estate and stuff like that because the stock market worries me in the distant future to have all my eggs in it for exactly what you said it's like do you believe that the currency might be like holding physical assets like like dirt yeah well and that's what like i mean i guess like probably you advise anybody <clears throat> or even me like just diversify like yeah. you have your stuff yeah. kind of spread across the yeah, board man. i feel obviously you need to place and when people say that well what if there's a civil war bro you don't give a shit about your ira dude yeah like uh, what, when you're sitting on your roof with an assault rifle like you're fucking john wick yeah dude, like, like there's no don't call your financial advisor because there's no answer for that shit unless he's got a bunch of guns too and he's got training man like he's not your partner yeah, now. that's not in any of the curriculum yeah uh i mean god the Hopefully not in my lifetime, man. I can't. Same, man. Because I get that question. I'm like, that's a tough one because, like, dude, I don't know how you plan for that. Like, let's ask a soldier how to plan for that. Like, I don't know. Like, when things are going kind of well, like, we're pretty good humans. Like, we tend to. Like, I say it all the time. Like, I show up here and nobody broke in and did a bunch of dumb shit. Like, we generally all kind of live by these rules. The pandemic made me think not so much because we have people doing all kinds of dumb shit. But, yeah, I think if you believe in America, like, you'll be fine. Put it in the market. Like, we're going to use iPhones. We're going to yeah. be on Netflix. We're going to do certain things. But, yeah, owning the hard assets because, again, people are always going to have to have places to live. And yeah, if we're still America, like, people are going to have to run businesses. Like, yeah. we can do as much online shit as we want, but some things just need to be in person. And a lot of things do. I think now more than ever, like, you saw, like, well, we can do everything through Zoom. Get the fuck out of here. Like, everything's way worse. I'm not everything, but like you can't do school on Zoom, dude. Like it doesn't work. Like as great as fitness is, like it's awesome online. Like we work with more people online than in person, but that's not the answer for everybody. Yeah. Like you're not doing all your medical appointments on Zoom. Like certain things just have to be here. Like I'm not fixing somebody. If I run a bike shop, I'm not doing it in my garage. Yeah. Like I need a real place where people can come and we can work and have employees. The pendulum swings. It, it'll swing. I think it'll swing back the other way. Like it's everything's virtual. I think. In like 10 years, like nothing will be virtual because like 
it's terrible. Not nothing, obviously, but like, yeah, people, I think it's going to swing the other way as well because it's, yeah. it's lonely working virtually all the time. Well, I see it too. Like, it's obviously like technology is like it's a one way street. We're not going to go backwards. Like, we're just, it's going too fast. We can't even really keep up with it. <laughs> but there'll be like this, it's almost like we're getting into it now where, because I had Jen Huberty on the podcast, we're talking about just like brain health and like stepping away from technology nice. and doing different things where some of these companies are actually like implementing it in the workplace where it's like, Hey, you have to take these, they call them brain breaks, which That's is crazy. Awesome. Yeah. So like they'll force them or like when she was at calm, which is the meditation and yeah. sleep app, they would just be like, Hey, we're not working on this Thursday or like this Friday. So nobody come in, don't show up. We're not fucking having work today. And they just make them go home. And the brain breaks when they do like these little gaps are like, Hey, just go and be outside. Go to yoga, walk around, do whatever, but just don't be on your phone, don't be on your computer, because you are so inundated by it. So I do think, yeah, there'll be a uh, shit. I think there'll be a time when you go pay money to sit in a room and just fucking be quiet yeah. and not do anything. Like yeah. you're you're paying a membership to go just sit and shut the hell up. Yeah, nature is like the what is it before? Like you would you want to unplug? Do you listen to Andrew Huberman? Mm-hmm. His podcast was oh i think it was his that was saying he's like try to not even play with your phone like if you like walk to the bathroom at work or something like that like try to take a little brain break from your laptop your phone so i try to do that little stuff i think that was his podcast that recommended that those little breaks to just not be on your phone if you're just like walking down the hallway or something because it's too much man and it's harder than you think, like, to, like, consciously be, like, don't grab my phone. <laughs> it's, like, oh, it's, like, pathetic. You're, like, oh, my God, I'm only walking to the go to the bathroom down the hallway. It's become the default for everything. And it's, like, when you look at screen time now, I think they said most people is, like, eight hours a day. But that's, like, between your computer, your TV, your phone. I go, so you're standing on the screen for eight hours a day. And there's a lot of people, like, we do, we I call it post and ghost because we obviously live on these sure. platforms. how we make money. But I'll post, and then I just, I set it down. I'll yeah. come back to it, like, otherwise... This whole fucking thing, dude. The whole day I go on, it just fucking lights up. It's nonstop. I go, and I'm super thankful. I'm happy for it, but I can't live on that. Yeah. But I grew up without it. Yeah. Like, I grew up playing fucking Oregon Trail. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> yeah, that, like, was like, like, that was a fun game. Yeah, like, this is the coolest thing ever. Like, I got, I actually have an old school Nintendo now. Some kid here fixed one and sold it to me. That's pretty So cool. I have Tetris, Mario Brothers, and Ninja Turtles. Um, but it's like, that's, that was our best thing. Yeah. And, like, you play for, like, an hour or two, and you're like, oh, whatever. But it's not like I didn't have TikTok. I didn't have Google. I didn't have yeah. all this crazy shit. So, yeah. It's it's different for us because we're about the same age. I think I'm like a year older than you. Yeah. Um, But we didn't have the online aspect of it. So, it was only so much I could play like, what was it like? Not not Madden, but there was like whatever the football game was. Tecmo. Was, maybe even Tecmo. I can't remember. Tecmo was with like Bo Jackson. And it, he's super fat. There's it a, might have been Madden like in the early in 90s Joe Montana. So. Joe Montana had a football too. Maybe it was that one when I was probably like 12. 10 or 12 or maybe like 8 or 9. Yeah, because it was Tecmo Bowl for Nintendo and then Tecmo Super Bowl because that was like Emmett Smith, Thurman Thomas, Jim Kelly, those teams. I, yeah. But I just remember my sister didn't want to play video games with me, so it was just me. Like you wouldn't couldn't go online. So it's like there's only so much you could play the computer and you're like, all right. When so it like, was you, different. So you wouldn't be on it all day like kids are today. Well, no, because it doesn't even save your high scores because I'm playing Tetris now and I'm like I'm crushing <laughs> and then I turn it back on. I'm like, this fucking guy is not the high score. This is bullshit. <laughs> I'm like fucking grown ass man playing these games, but yeah, no, it's. I do think there's, it'll it'll come full circle. So to your point, I think having hard assets is ideal. I feel way more comfortable that we own this and a home, and I sell it to my to my mom too. My mom has these rental properties. I'm like, just keep them. 
Yeah. I'm like, keep your money in the market. I go, if these are, if there's something that doesn't work out, I'm like, let me know. Yeah. But I do think having hard assets is just, a, it's, a, you're just a, it's like having Apple stock and Google stock. They're yeah. just, they're two different things. And that, that way it's like, if something goes sideways, I just feel, but I think about business too. Like I like to have multiple revenue streams. Yeah. So if one of them is eating shit for some reason, like I'm not just going to panic. Yeah. Where I think people do that when they look, if, who's the guy in the, uh, was it Jim Cramer? It <laughs> is that, you know, a terrible yeah. show. Everything's like fucking panic, but people watch that shit. Yeah, it sells. And they watch the market every day and they're like, oh my God, my portfolio's down. I'm like, no, you didn't sell anything. Yeah. It's not done. It's the same thing with your house. My house is worth this. No, it's not. Yeah. If someone pays it for you, sure. But if your house goes down a hundred grand, who gives a shit? Yeah. Unless you have like a HELOC or something on it and you owe money, like I think you're going to be okay. And even people that are like they're about to use their money because they're closer to retirement and they're freaking out right now. It's like, well, you weren't about to pull every dollar this year. No. Like, so like you were about to use like one twentieth of your retirement account. So yeah, it's down. That sucks. Like, but if the market was up the amount that it's down, would you have liquidated everything and like stopped working? Like, no, it's like, well, like then shut up and keep working. Like you're don't get caught in the hype. Like I don't even watch that much CNBC because the vast majority of it is just not helpful information. Oh, I can't watch anything. It's dude. like I watch absolutely nothing. Like they want you. Like, <clears throat> and I'm a big fan. Like I said earlier, like I don't do the active thing. I'm not trying to like bob and weave in and out of the market. I think the stock market is is probably as close as you can get to a passive investment because you just throw the money in, hit a button, um, and then for people that like myself are looking into real estate right now, hoping that I kind of want the rates to keep going up because I want the, the prices to fall because I can always refi the rate, but. Like, what are you trying to buy, rental shit or what? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm maxing, I've been maxing my Roth for a while to buy things with my Roth for my Roth IRA and my Roth 401k. Explain that to somebody who's listening. So, instead of like, hey, go into Wells Fargo. So, all right, if you, you can do what's called self directing a retirement account. So, a retirement account can buy any investment under the sun with the exception of three things it cannot buy life insurance, it cannot buy, equity in a company that's an S corp and it cannot buy collectibles. So it can't be like fine art, fine wine, auto music, cars and shit. Yeah. yeah. Can't buy those three things outside of that. You can buy any investment you want. So if you are a real estate person and you have a 401k from an old job, you might be tempted to like liquidate that 401k and then go buy real estate because that's your skill set. That's where the, your greatest return on investment is. What I would encourage you to do is talk to your accountant about using your 401k, using your IRA, whatever it is, and go buying that asset class there. Now, what's good about that is one, you don't have to liquidate it today and pay all the taxes because if you're still working, you're probably in a high bracket and that would be cost prohibitive and you're gonna get hit with a 10% penalty. And two, it allows you to do what you do best. Like for you, it might be identifying a fitness business that needs like a 50% equity partner. You just go do that in your Roth IRA and hopefully it becomes the next Facebook or whatever it is. Yeah. And then that, that capital gain goes right back into your Roth IRA, completely tax-free. So on the real estate side, I would recommend people, if you're going to consider doing this, I like real estate in Roth IRAs, not traditional IRAs because you do lose all the tax perks when you do this. So, if you have a Roth set up, this is the way to go. In my opinion, yeah. yeah. Because there's just, like, if, if you're a real estate person, you're like, well, what about my depreciation and all that? It's like, well, you can't do any of that, but there's no taxes at all. 
Like you just buy it. You don't depreciate it, but all your rent, if you sell it, you don't have the 1031. All that's just gone because there's no tax. You just do your thing. And if you're good at real estate, then do real estate and everything you own. Um, and again, I'm not encouraging people to do that, but I'm just saying if that's your skill set and you're comfortable, yeah, yeah. don't liquidate these accounts and pay all these penalties if you can just do the investment that way. And so I like that concept because I'm building up all my accounts each year and I have my stock market. The stock market stuff for me is, I don't want to say easy, but I'm just very comfortable with it. I know what I'm doing. I don't think I'm a genius. I just know what I'm doing and I just leave it there. So, But you're not like, hey, I need to get 30% returns. Like, no, you're just cool I'm, with the I'm normal. I'm doing yeah. the market. Like yeah. whatever the market does, I get. So I don't, because like I don't try to be a stock picker. I don't try to be this global economics professor of like, like, oh, like emerging markets. Like, I don't know. I got a little bit of all of it and I hope, I mean, realistically, they're not all going to go up because otherwise I wouldn't be diversified. Yeah. So it is what it is, but the rest I'm buying, starting to buy real estate. And so like you're, it. you're thinking like 2023 for my real estate. Yeah. Yeah. Like sometime where it's like, Hey, here's. And because, so that's, that's where I'm hoarding cash inside of these retirement accounts for real estate. Same here. Because two things, like you said, I think there's going to be deals and I consider even like some of my stock market stuff where I'm pooling money that I will eventually buy real estate because like, Again, I'm pretty comfortable with the market's doing. I'm still adding to it. I'm dollar cost averaging. But if it, I don't have a deal right now for real estate. So once I do, boom, into my self-directed account, buy the property. And obviously, there's a bunch of rules to do self-directing. But yeah. um, since I know those rules, I don't stress out about it. But I feel like the stock market, for a lot of people listening, if you're like, I want to do this, I want to do that, you could start with not just leaving it in cash. You could put it, I mean, the stock market could crash on you, but... If you believe in America, if you're long, yeah, if you're long-term vision with your investments, you'd be like, all right, well, this is what I'm going to do with that money and just leave it there and then transfer it. But I would, if you are, if you know what you're going to do, I would start hoarding cash for some of those. Cause I think there's going to be massive opportunities over the next like 12 to 18 months, whatever your asset class of choices. I think a lot of them are going to be on sale. I agree. I, I just don't see how it can't be. Yeah. I'm not saying like it's a sure thing, but <clears throat> I could be wrong and your house could be worth $5 million next year. <laughs> um, I just don't like, I just don't see how that plays out. Yeah. Like, I just think things have been overinflated. Like, and it's, it is a bubble. Like it has to be like this whole, there's not enough houses for people. That's fuck. That's horseshit. Yeah. Like, I'm not like, I'm not a builder. I don't know all the details. I go, but how are all these houses then vacant now? Yeah. How are there's houses like in like a Scottsdale or in a Las Vegas or in a Seattle where people aren't buying them yeah. for 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 days? I thought people just desperately needed a place to live so they'd pay anything. I'm like, well, that's just not the case. Yeah. The pain point's too high now. See, I would think like it has to be coming down. I would imagine. I think so. I I don't I agree with you. I don't see I don't see the chain of events that would make it go the other way. Like for property values to just start jumping up. Like it just doesn't seem be the Because somebody has somebody has to buy them. And they had a need. They need to have, with the amount of unemployment that's coming up, I just don't see how everyone's like in a mood to be like, "I'm going to start bidding higher again," not knowing if you'll be working or not, and, and the it, money's not as cheap. And even even the people that you say like in like the Scottsdale that make really good money, they're not out there bidding on properties right now. No. Like they might underbid you and try to get it for a deal, but they're not like, "Oh, they want a million. Here's one point one." Like people aren't doing that right now. Because our, our friends who, they moved to uh, Colorado, 
um, new jobs. They had their house here. I think they listed it for like 800 and it ended up going for like nine, like 20 or some shit where some dude just finally came in. He's like, whatever it is, just keep going up a thousand until I get it. <laughs> and that was, he was telling the realtor. So people just bit, they took off the sign like in a day. And I'm like, that's insanity. Yeah. I've not seen any of that happening now. Yeah. Or like the other stuff where these institutions are buying up properties like crazy, especially the ones like probably under a million. Yeah. Like just like insane. So like if it's Black Rock or Blackstone or whoever it was. Yeah. Like just buying whole fucking communities basically. I'm not seeing that either now. Not at scale. Well, they're also getting if, if Blackstone or sorry, Black Rock, they're starting to also get a lot of uh, investor pullback. Like some of the states are pulling out from them. No shit. Because of, uh, I, I think they went a little too far on their ESG, and uh, I believe they they made some sort of public statement they weren't going to do anything with like oil and gas or something like that. And so I think Louisiana was like, well, that's a big priority to us. So I think they pulled like their state money out of it, which is like billions of dollars. And I think Florida just announced they're leaving Blackstone. Like they're one of the the biggest huge. So yeah, if they keep pushing that little too hard i think a lot of the states that you're either they don't politically align with that or they're like louisiana like they have a lot of oil and gas interests so they're not going to be cool with you being like we're managing your money and we're trying to bankrupt your (laughs) your investments that's trippy yeah so if you were somebody who's they've been saving money for you know maybe it is a house or it is a a rental or something and they're going to use it in the next 12 to 18 months. Just kind of sit on it. I mean, if, it's, if it's like their primary residence that they're looking to buy, I don't know if I would wait only because you can always refinance the rate. You might overbuy, like based on our conversation. I think there's a good chance you would overpay. But if you're going to be there a while, I don't know if I would encourage them to just keep renting and hope for the bottom because it's hard to time the bottom. For sure. If you're an investor, I think that's a different. You can be a little more patient. If it's your primary residence, I'd like... Don't go crazy, but I feel like you could probably pull the trigger. But you don't think the bottom's here? I don't believe the bottom is here. No. I unfortunately don't think the bottom, in the real estate markets, I don't think we've even, because it hasn't really reacted the way the other asset classes have so far. Like the bond market's been crushed. It's almost down as much as the stock market this year. And that's supposed to be our hedge for like our retirees and things like that. I know. Crypto murdered. Crypto murdered and worse than murder because right now people are like can we even trust it at all like i know so um i had someone on my podcast the other day and he was trying to explain the ftx thing to me and he was um he's not trading right now he said like and he's he's a a crypto guy he's a crypto um educator for driven and he's like i'm paused right now because like there's just too much uncertainty and yeah because i saw people selling like their bitcoin positions for like nine grand or like 10 grand i'm like that means like you probably I mean, you didn't buy it for that. So you bought it at 17, 20, 30, 40, and you're like, you know what? Fuck it. I don't believe in it anymore. I just want something from my. Do you know Peter Schiff? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So like I, I mean, he's the best, dude. Like he's, he obviously he's anti crypto completely. <laughs> he's pro fucking gold. But I'm like, again, when you're listening to people, you got to just understand like what they're invested in and where they're coming from. It's yeah. kind of like there's guys, I'm not going to say their names, like who are like, oh, this never own a home. Yeah. Like the stock market is shit. And like they're saying that so you give them money to buy real estate. <laughs> and they're saying it from like their rental that they're in, but they own the whole fucking building. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just horseshit like that. And I'm Peter Schiff's not that. He's great. But he is a gold guy. 
Yeah. He's like gold, gold, gold. Like that's his thing. He'll die in that sword. But everything he said about the crypto shit, like he's, I mean, who knows? Like it has to play out historically, but like he's been right, dude. Like, I mean, a lot of people are scratching their head on it because like, especially the, the old school guys that have been in this game for 60, 70 years. And they're like, this doesn't make any sense. No. Like make this make sense to me. And a lot of people couldn't do it, but that's the, the crux of any currency. It's only what people agree it is. Well, yeah, because you your dollar is backed by nothing. Like, wasn't like four hundred years ago? Like, tulips were form of currency, and like that, uh, that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's like currency is just what everyone says it is. It's our agreement, right? And so, at a fundamental level, they're like, this isn't, this isn't like a technology. It's an agreement, and at the whatever point we all stop agreeing, what's the underlying value? And they're like theoretically nothing and yeah. that's playing out in some of these right now and but that's what the dollar is exactly the dollar is theoretically just a piece of shit paper. that's why it's kind of funny listening to these guys that are they make sense and that's why like why i'm like okay i understand it. if it's a finite thing it lives on this ledger here's the number it's 21 million whatever that's fine. yeah and now because you're like well it's the, the dollars i'm like yeah i have dollars in this office but my wife has worked for a company for 14 years she ain't never seen a dollar yeah. It comes to a screen into an account and it's just numbers. Yeah. Like when the Fed's like, we're printing money. They're not really printing shit. Yeah. They put it in a central database and just goes to, where's it go to? Not to you. Yeah. It goes to these, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's when people are like, well, they just printed a trillion dollars. I didn't get a trillion dollars. <laughs> Who got that money? Yeah. It went somewhere. And you can't ask them either because they don't, they won't tell you. And that's crazy, right? Like, that's where, again, I'm not like pro Bitcoin and telling you to buy cryptocurrency. Do, talk to your advisor about anything you do but when they make that argument i'm like okay well it, it makes us it all seems made up to me anyway so this seems just as made up as this <laughs> made up shit we've just been doing this made up shit for way longer yeah like so that's where they th- that that part of it does make sense to me all the rest of it though i'm like no nah, dude like these dog coins and shit like, yeah i don't get any of that stuff no i mean i that's one of my issues with that whole industry in general it's like you could just make up a coin. It's a dot com. And if people agree, awesome. And I think it's interesting because like, I don't know why that's so much different than the pump and dumps that are illegal in the stock market. It's like, you just create something, tell everyone how awesome it is. And then you're slowly getting out of it while all these people are holding your awesome coin. It's, it's basically, it's the world. We're just, just too fast. Yeah. All this is happening too fast, too yeah. quick. And these guys, no offense, these old motherfuckers who are running stuff, like, have no clue what's going on. Yeah. Like, you know, when you send them such, I'm about to pee my pants, too. Um, <laughs> we'll wrap this up in, like, five minutes. Um, the um, You watch some of these guys, like, when they would do these uh, inquiries, like, in Congress. And they're asking, like, Zuckerberg about Oh, fit. God. And I'm like, how painful for him. Like, and I'm not, like, saying Zuckerberg's a saint or anything. I'm like, but the dude's obviously super fucking smart. Yeah. And he understands, like, his app and what they do. And for, I'm sure him, as a person, didn't envision this. Yeah. He didn't envision like this thing would become a utility. Like yeah. like Instagram and social media is now, it's like having lights and water. Yeah. If you're in a business, it yeah. is a utility. It's not a, we're going to kick you off the platform. I don't think they should be able to do that because it's like, hey, you can't have water at your business. Like it's yeah. that fucking important. Yeah. He never thought that would happen. But for this dude to sit up there and be like, so like when I go on Facebook, can you like track where I'm at? Like these guys asking the dumbest, what are cookies? Like the dumbest shit. And he's trying to explain like, Oh my God, I think that's the problem you're getting into when you have these people in like the house, the Senate Congress and the government being like, 
what is this is dogecoin what like yeah. what the hell they're like their brains can't even wrap around like the technology let alone like that people trade these things for money yeah that's that's a whole conversation like what how are you guys regulating you don't things under- you don't understand no like not I, even a fundamental understanding i don't of it. Fuck, i think i'm relatively smart I can't. I'm like, what? I'm like, this is the blockchain. I go, this is the technology that moves. This is lightning payments. I'm like, what the, f- what the hell, yeah. dude? And I'm 25 years younger than these guys. Yeah. And even I have kids here trying to explain it to me. And I'm like, okay, I kind of get it. But how, and I'm going to set rules about it now? Yeah. There's no way. And it's like the person explaining it to you is guiding you. And if they want to trick you, they can do it because they're explaining. Oh. How. So it's like, what are you guys even accomplishing by trying to regulate it? By getting your instruction from the person, you're, which is probably what similarly happened with FTX. They were probably like explaining how it all worked. And they're just like, okay. When I think about that stuff, like someone explaining crypto to somebody and then just nodding, like, oh, yeah, yeah. That's like when I go to my mechanic. He's like, well, you know, your timing belt is here. And I'm like, you're just pointing to stuff right now. <laughs> I know where the oil is. I know how to change a tire. Short of that, dude, I don't know what the hell you're talking about. So, yeah. like, you're saying things to me, and I'm just nodding in agreement. But you could literally be just making up fucking words. <laughs> it's No offense. It's what we could do here with fitness. I could just make up exercises and say the wrong coaching cues, and 99% people would never know. Yeah. But we're doing this at a scale for the government. Yeah. That's trippy, man. That's, that's a really good point, like, because I don't. Those were funny to watch, but yeah, when you think about it, especially like, cause I laugh more cause I understand it when they're like grilling the bankers oh, yeah. and they're just like firing back. Like, like what was that one that went viral? Uh, Jamie Dimon was asked if he was going to stop lending to oil and gas companies or fossil fuel companies. Yeah. And he's like, no. And that would be the road to hell for America or something like that. Yeah. And she got all upset and it's like, do you understand how money works? Because these people do. Like, yeah. they literally understand. And how- for him, too, like, he's one of the smartest dudes, like, all the time. Oh, yeah. Like, these guys, this is their thing. But again, you have people in positions who don't <laughs> clearly understand what's going on. That's yeah. crazy. So, if you give, um, I guess, uh, yeah, so we talked everything pretty much. Um, where can these guys, or do you have any advice for anybody? Maybe they're sitting on some cash. 2023 is going to come up. What um, this airs today, you said, or yeah. Uh, so, oh, you'll be driving home and it'll be live. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so my main advice because this is early December right now, December fourth. Um, find out what you owe. Like, focus for the next three weeks on what your tax liability is going to be because December thirty first is the last day to legally manipulate what you owe in taxes. And so, if you have no clue what your profit is for the year, figure that out. Do it on a spreadsheet, reach out to a bookkeeper or an accountant, get that done because that is, this is the time to do it. Any sort of tax planning, when you sit down with your accountant in March or April, it's too late. They're just going to record history. So that would be my homework to anybody, especially if you're stressed out on your numbers, you have no clue what your profit was this year. Take the next couple weeks. That's probably the best financial decision you could do is figure out where your money went this year. And if you're somebody who you just get a normal W-2 and you always get a major refund, yeah. You should probably reset. Talk like, to them. I would also talk to them about if they had, because we talked about before, see if they do the Roth 401k. Yeah. And and talk to your accountant and see if that would make sense for you based on your tax bracket. Because I like people to do that right now, not just, even if you're in a higher tax bracket. Yeah. I'm encouraging people to consider using the Roth side because historically we're still in a pretty low tax bracket. Even the worst tax brackets for the wealthiest earners 
you look at what they would have paid in the 80s, it would have been more than double. No shit. Yeah. Back in 1981, the 35% tax bracket, the equivalent was 70%. So, Dude, there's a TikTok where a guy just goes through, like, if you live here, here's what you'll pay. And (laughs) it's, I mean, it's it's the most basic videos ever. And I just got sucked in one day for like, first of all, I hate TikTok. Um, we post on it for business and I ghost, but it was the first thing that popped up. He's like, if you're in California, here's what you pay. And the salary was like $1.5 million, And you end up getting like $746,000. i am like, yeah. that's the most depressing shit I've ever seen. I don't know how top earners live in California. Dude, and it the, blows my mind. The property taxes, like insanity, dude. Property taxes. Because Vegas is, uh, Nevada's low. Right? Yeah, because our education systems and health systems suck so welcome to arizona dude. <laughs> uh but when i look at like okay if i lived in because we would go to coronado island to town yeah. san diego it's beautiful and Love i'm like san diego. i go okay so my house is two million bucks but my taxes are four grand a month <laughs> are you fucking serious like, like you can't even gift that property to certain people no like they uh, dude, wouldn't be able to afford it so you say that i go i told heather i go we were there and it was just like you know when you do this we bullshit and it's like vacation life versus like working life is two different things too so sure. that's when people always come here like, oh you're not super tan i'm like well i fucking work dude i'm not <laughs> hanging out at the phoenician having drinks <laughs> so we're talking i go if i if i could somehow like buy a condo for my old man and it was let's say it cost me a million dollars and i could pay for it in cash i go his HOA and his insurance and his taxes would be like $2,000 a month. There's yeah. no fucking way he could even afford to live there if it was just a carrying cost. Yeah. And I go, that number only goes up in perpetuity. Yeah. Which is insane. So when I do think about that, it is depressing. And to your point of the Roth stuff, we are painfully in a higher tax bracket than I'd like to be in. Um, but, you know, you're making money, so who cares? But I tell, we've done the Roth for my wife's stuff ever since they started doing it. Yeah. Because they do, again, and the people who get the match, it seems like it's brain dead if you're not doing at least the match. You should definitely. If you're working for somebody else, get that match. What's, like, the best you've ever heard? Like, percent? In a match? Yeah. Um, actually, a guy at my conference, he matches dollar for dollar today. Or no matter, I met him yesterday. No matter what they do? Yeah. So, like, 20K? Yeah. Fuck, dude. He would do the whole match. It's, like, a small company, obviously. Uh. He's in healthcare. They're doing like twelve million a year. Whoa! So I don't know how many people are on his team, but bro, I mean, you should definitely do the match. You should. I mean, if you're if you're listening to this and you have your own company, I would check out the solo four hundred one ks. And oh, that's the other thing. If you are interested in solo four hundred one k, again, quickly go talk to somebody that you trust. But twelve thirty one is the deadline to get that paperwork in, and then you can fund it next year. But you got to get that document signed this year. And that the solo 401k for anyone listening, that gives you a ton of flexibility because the 20500 that gets thrown around, that's just the one bucket of the 401k. There's three buckets. The, the employee side is the 20500 Then your employer can put money in. Then there's like a third bucket that's like kind of never talked about, and that's the after-tax employee contribution. You can put money in and immediately roll it to a, a Roth IRA. So that's how people like me last year put $58,000 into their Roth IRA. Because it's like how, like how people do like backdoor Roth. It's, basically. it's called the mega backdoor Roth. Okay. And so you put 58,000 well, this year in 2022, it's 61,000. You can put 61,000 in a Roth IRA or Roth 401k. And then most of it will be rolled to the, a Roth IRA. 
And that's not even including the 6,000 that you can put into your Roth IRA on top of that. So anyone listening to this, if you're under the age of 50, you can put, assuming you income eligible, you can put 66,000. So you got to make, now you're talking about people, you got to make money. We got to make at least that 61,000. Yeah. So you got to, you got to make some money. Yeah. Yeah. But if you, if you're at that level and you're looking at these strategies, like even my clients that are top earners, I'm still encouraging them to consider that strategy. Cause like, yeah, you can take the tax deduction 37%. But if you believe in the future and someone's got to pay for this later, do you think these tax brackets will be 37% or at some point could it be higher again? And I just, I think it will be higher, but I, that is the most depressing thing to think about like of all time. It's depressing, but the reality is if you're a business owner, you're going to end up with three buckets of cash when you're retired. You're going to end up with the pre-tax money because that just happens along the way. There's, and there's, as you make more money, you're going to get talked to about like cash balance plans and these like supercharged things. Yep. Then you're going to end up with your regular cash, like a bank account, brokerage account, your real estate, regular cash that gets taxed every year. And then you're going to have your after-tax money, like the Roth. And so no matter what the tax bracket is, you have three buckets to pick and choose from as you go. Like that's just going to end up being the case. And I think that the, the Roth bucket gets neglected and then you can do all that cool shit. Like again, like if you have an opportunity that you see and you're like, well, damn, that's a really depressed property. Like I could probably make, you know, millions on it. You probably don't want to buy that in your IRA because now you're going to pay taxes on it. If you have, if you have that base amount of a few hundred thousand dollars in the Roth, then you can, you can do it. You can do it. And so it opens you up to like the Peter Thiel ideas where like he couldn't have done it if he had zero dollars in his Roth. No. Well, and I think too for people like that's if you're if you are talking about people and I, who people who work a normal job, it's hard to say what you'll do in this like life. That's kind of the natural progression anyways, I think, because if I think about even if you were a complete dipshit, which I used to be, but I'm a little smarter now as I'm older. <laughs> but when I look at it, like when I first started, I would only do like the Roth. Yeah. Because I'm like, okay, Chris, like, you, and I think it was like 5000 back then. Yeah. So I give him 400 and like 38 bucks a month, whatever it was. Sure. And I would do that until like I made too much money. Like you didn't qualify back then. It was like on 125 or some shit. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, well, let's do, we just set up like a self-employment pension fund. And then now that was up to like 55,000 bucks a year. Maybe it's more now. It's, it's just, it always tracks the same as the 401k. So okay. they have 61. Yeah. So, which first of all, if you ever do that, it's super fucking painful to do. Cause it's like, here's some money that I'm not going to touch. This is depressing. <laughs> I go, but what we would, and this is us, like when Heather and I are like, Hey, we're going to like pay our house off just cause I want to get rid of it. What I'll do is in the same exact month, I'll take that, that, old mortgage payment and I'll just put that into a joint account, which is basically outside of retirement. So like short-term, long-term games, if we do pull it out, sure. otherwise just reinvest, reinvest, reinvest. And so we've done that for the last two and a half years. And now that account has just grown. So it's the three buckets you mentioned. It yeah. just naturally happened. And I think yeah. for most people who do this, that's probably the way it's going to work anyway. Yeah. You're always, for the most part, you're going to have those three buckets, Yeah, especially as you earn more money because the four, like if you're sitting down, like a financial person sitting down with a business owner making multi six figures or seven figures or eight figures, they're going to start saying, okay, the 401k, we're going to do that. But then they're going to start talking about the other site types of plans that you can put like hundreds of thousands of dollars in, but you can only do it pre-tax. So that's one of the reasons I also encourage people to do the, the Roth stuff, because once you're making millions or hundreds of thousands, the cool shit is with the pre-tax stuff. So you're going to end up with that bucket anyway. Yep. But if you want to start doing like real estate or crypto and all this stuff in your Roth IRA, you need to have one. And the hardest part's getting the money in. So you got to do it when you're young. And obviously if you're young, you're probably making less, 
So you're in those lower brackets. And now we're in brackets that historically are fairly low. So if you're somebody who's like younger in their career, you're not making a ton of money, maybe you make, you know, 40 grand a year, 50 grand a year, um, your expenses are the normal stuff. Like, what do you tell them to do? I would do, I would try to do the Roth IRA, a regular Roth IRA and an HSA, which is for people unfamiliar, it's a health savings account. It's a deduction to put the money in. But what's cool about an HSA, it's literally the only investment account, for lack of a better term, an investment account, that there's no taxes ever. You put the money in, you get a tax deduction. And if you're young, that tax deduction is not, or I shouldn't say young in age, but if you're not making a lot of money. Younger investor. Younger yeah. investor. The tax deduction is not going to be very meaningful. But you can pull, the money can grow tax-free, and you can access that money at any point, any point for qualified medical investment so or medical expense. So if you go to the doctor, if you fulfill a prescription, all of that. So that money is especially because I, I believe I heard the other day, the number one reason people raid their retirement accounts is medical expenses. No shit. I believe it, I guess. So one, if you're out there, <clears throat> don't walk around without health insurance because even though it's expensive and that sucks. One major thing will cripple you. <sighs> Yeah, like I don't know what there. Maybe you do. Like, you break your leg, that hospital bill could easily be six figures. Oh, dude, if you just like tore your ACL and probably have to get it fixed, it's probably like twenty grand. Yeah, like, and that's just the surgery. Yeah, not like PT, all the normal stuff you have to go to. And again, now you can't drive, you can't work, you can't do shit. I do think insurance sucks. Sorry, Dave DiLorenzo, (laughs) Um, but it's a necessity, dude. Yeah, like it's a thing where we pay it here. You have, you wouldn't. Like your home for you guys. Like, you know why the bank makes you have uh, homeowner's insurance? Because they don't want that investment to go to shit. Because they want their money in case something happens. Yeah. When you're solo, you pay for it because you, do, you unless you don't want to. Like, I technically, I don't have to pay for insurance, I guess, at my house. Yeah. But if that thing goes up in smoke, now I got a slab of concrete. What the fuck, dude? It's well yeah. worth it. Same thing for your body, man. Like, you just don't want this. It's for catastrophes. Yeah. Essentially. And if you're young in age, it's going to be cheaper. And you have until December 15th, go reach out to some independent broker in your town that, or in your state, get insurance, man, for January 1st. Like the Obamacare, I don't have a lot of good things to say about Obamacare other than those premium tax credits. If you qualify for them, they're game changer. Insurance can be a lot cheaper than people think. So don't walk around without health insurance, get an HSA plan, especially if you're young and healthy. Those are two, those that's what is it? 3,600 in that and 6,000. So for less than 10 grand, you got two investment accounts that are awesome for young people. And if you can't do six, like just pick a number. Yeah. Like whatever you can do. Do something. And the money you put into it mentally part with that money. Don't try to tap it. Like there's a bunch of reasons you can pull money out of a Roth that like, Oh, like first home purchase, blah, blah, blah. But I wouldn't. Cause it's so hard to get money into a Roth. You're going to get to like, 30, 40, 50 years old and going to be getting investment opportunities and people are like, oh, what if you did in your Roth? And you'd be like, shit, I have no money in my Roth or very little. And now there's so many opportunities that you don't have access to because you just don't have enough to get into those investments. It's just a daily discipline like yeah. anything else. Like when you work for a company, it's easier. They just pull it out. Yeah. And it's just already gone by the time it hits your account. I know for people retroactively, it's like, what's well, like when I pay taxes? Like I have all the money in my accounts. I'm going to cut these guys a check here in a couple of weeks. And I fucking hate doing it. It is it's so <laughs> painful, dude. I'm like, God, this is the worst. I go, but that's part of the game. Yeah. And where with my retirement stuff, like it's already in our accounts, but I just know every month I'm like thousands of dollars are just going to be gone. And that's fine. Yep. I just kind of set it, let it be there. And that's cool. Paying future you. 
Um, where do these guys uh, find you at? Like social media, website, all your stuff? Yeah, uh, most active on Instagram at the Pat Darby. My website is Darby, D A R B Y B A, like business advisor dot com. Um, my TikTok is the same as my Instagram, but oh. I'm, I'm not <laughs> TikTok. I have very I, all my socials are unfortunately fairly small audience, but you dance I'm on TikTok. Active. You dance on TikTok like you do like some, I don't dance on anything. Some finance tips and dance around. No, <laughs> I, I stand still and give a pretty boring tutorials. But that's I watch like a guy. He's like a home builder, and he just like puts his big ass face in front of it. And he's like talk, <laughs> because I'm interested to hear about like. And that's how I like, I don't follow anybody, but he's like, on my like suggested. And he just talks about like, I build homes and here's what we're seeing. I'm like, I'll listen to this shit. Yeah. That's fine. Um, and then you have a podcast. Yeah. My podcast is build your wealth muscle on all the Spotify, Apple, all the, the usuals. And what do you talk about on the podcast? Money. We talk about finance, taxes, cash flow, profit, and then had Jeremy on. We bring on experts in other areas and your colleagues in fitness um, yeah, like my last guest was a crypto expert talking about FTX. So anything, we do a lot of tax talk on there, actually. That's probably the biggest topic just because that's that's a lever that we can pull as business owners. For sure. Um, yeah, it's my last last tip as I guess we're wrapping up. Uh, just go get, if you do work for someone else, go get a side hustle because the tax code really opens up. Like drive Uber, do something, get yourself a 1099 from somebody opens up a lot of the tax code to you. Or if you have like, I mean, you don't need to have an LLC, I guess, but you could you start an LLC. You could start, but you can, and you can lose money for a couple of years. And an LLC, there's, there's no, um, there's no tax perks in an LLC at all. Just all so the, nobody sues your ass. It's just asset protection. Yeah. So like if you're out there doing an Uber or have something that's generating like affiliate link or something generating a 1099 for you, you're a business owner start writing off your home office, your cell phone, like do it legit. Like get again, get an accountant to help you. But, yeah. Cause you don't know what you're doing, but like that opens the game for you. Now, everything we were talking about, like solo 401k set by arrays, like now you're in that world, even with your regular W2, like you're in the game. Like you can start using all those tax codes that you see the wealthy guys talking about and bragging about, like you're in the game. It's hard for people. Cause I know they think like, Oh, it seems like a lot of hoops to jump through. It's not really. And if you want to take advantage of some of these things, it's probably one of the best things you can do. And again, it doesn't got to be this crazy thing where you're making an extra $40,000 a year. I go, it's just for you to take advantage of what's currently going on, even if that side hustle is. But I'm a huge believer in small things. If it gets you $10,000 extra a year, $5,000 extra a year, I'm like, all that stuff adds up over time. And if it's something like that, like $10,000, for the most part, again, if you go hire a tax professional, that $10,000 is probably going to be tax-free income because you're going to start writing off your home office, your cell phone, the things that you're already spending money on that are legitimate expenses. So that 10,000 is probably going to get wiped out and that's just going to be free. Like 10,000 you were already spending anyway. And now you get 10,000 from Uber and you get to keep it. Just takes a little bit of work. Just takes a little bit of work. That's it. We're like at two hours and 42 minutes. Are we really? Isn't that crazy, huh? Wow. I would have guessed like an hour and a half. Yeah. It goes fast, bro. Yeah. Um, it's usually about the time I got to pee. um so yeah uh podcast i'll put um i'll grab it for you i'll put in the show notes instagram uh if they got a question they'll harass you for sure cool um yeah look at his stuff dude it's good stuff obviously it's uh, beneficial uh i learned a lot of stuff hopefully you guys did too um i appreciate it man thank you so much for having me it's good shit awesome um if you guys are you want to hop on the app jeremy's got fitness app we'll give you guys a free week if you want the samples of athletic greens or the beam cbd we'll give you guys free samples of that too and then uh 
Give Pat a follow on Instagram if you're under the age of 25 and you have TikTok. Um, <laughs> go on there too. Uh, you can see some old dudes on there talking shit. And then uh, his podcast too brings a bunch of people on. Uh, well worth a listen. So again, obviously, like you know, whether you guys are like money people, not money people, at the end of the day, we all go to work. We all make money, and so you know, have it do some good things for you. It's not gonna make you a better person, but it does make life a lot easier when you can write a check and and solve some problems, most definitely. So. I appreciate it, brother. Good shit, man. Thank you so much for having me. Um, if you guys are on Apple, drop us a five-star, leave a comment. We'd appreciate it. If you're on Spotify, five-star it there as well. If you think this can help any one of your friends, family, especially you entrepreneurs, solo business owners, or people who are starting a side hustle or want to get out of the mainstream, he's a great follow and resource, so pass this along to them. And until next time, you guys, eat well, train hard, be nice to people, and please keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.